What's going on everybody, this is Noah Alvarez and you are tuned into another episode of the My Mike and I podcast. Hey, really quick shout out to everybody that's listening, no matter what platform you are, I really support your listenership and if you're listening on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, SoundCloud, doesn't matter, be sure to hit that follow button, be sure to hit subscribe, be sure to hit follow, whatever it is on the homepage for whatever listening platform you're on, I greatly appreciate that. Now, before we get into this episode, and it is a longer one, so trust me, I will be quick and more decisive and more efficient with this intro. I did want to thank Generic Sports for producing the instrumental playing in the background. You can check out more of his work at soundcloud.com slash generic sports, or do the same thing on Bandcamp, Twitter, and Instagram. Just search up generic sports for all your instrumental needs. Also, shout out to the homie Vince Correa for designing the My Mike and I logo that you are seeing in your screen. He helps out a ton too with the My Mike and I Instagram page, the graphics that go into that. And if you're on that Instagram platform, be sure to go check it out at my period Mike and period I. One more time, that's at my period Mike and period I. So shout out to you, Vince. Shout out to Generic Sports. We got the hip hop, the best hip hop of 2020 podcast coming soon. We're already in the midst of planning that, working on my list as we speak. But uh, yeah, let's go ahead and introduce you, the guest, to episode 136. Can I get a drum roll, please? This week's guest, man, I'm very honored. I know a few months back, I kind of shared with you an inspirational story of how I basically shot my shot on Twitter and was able to get Sada Gonzalez on, a reporter for NPR and one of my favorite podcasts in Planet Money. Well, I did a very similar thing, and I have on Dr. Cesar Padilla. He's a doctor who hails from the Bay Area in Union City. Uh, we talked about you know growing up in Fremont a lot as well, but he, I believe he has, uh, what do you call that, residency? I know he works out in, uh, in Ohio. I'm sorry if I'm butchering the medical terms, but I know he works out in Ohio. Um, and he's known as the Millennial MD on Twitter. And that's kind of how I saw his profile. And he posted something about, you know, being a below average, you know, student in, in high school and stuff like that. And then going to community college, kind of turning it around. And then going to university, obviously, and pursuing a medical degree. So we talk about a lot of that journey. And like I said, it's a longer podcast, so I don't want to take too much of your time in the intro. But it's super, super inspiring. I'm super grateful to have met him. Thank you again, Cesar, for being a part of this show. Hope you enjoy the conversation with Cesar Padilla and myself. So the first question I wanted to ask you is how did you get into medicine? At what age did you kind of have an interest in getting in, into helping people? Man, Noah. Okay to call you Noah? Yeah. All right, Noah, that's a deep question, man. When did I first get into medicine? Well, we got to take it back, man. We got to take it back. So... Uh, so first of all, I'm a first generation uh, Mexican American, Chicano. Um, very proud of my roots, and my parents are from uh, the state of Jalisco. So we're from a small town. Honestly, it's a farm town. To be honest with you, uh, it's it's close. It's about an hour and a half from Guadalajara, so that's a big city. But we're city. We're from a, a small town. Um, you know, people, hardworking people. And what our parents did is, you know, I was born close to Oakland. So I was born in San Leandro, which is about 10, 15 minutes from, from Oakland. And what our parents would do every summer is they would take us to Mexico. And I think that was a way for us to get in touch with our culture. So, um, you know, my mom, my dad, they're, they're you know, working factories. In fact, my mom was a breadwinner. She worked in a factory because my, my dad had an accident where his, he almost had his leg amputated, basically, wow. in a forklift accident. And so... You know, they had to work. 
put, you know, they, they, they managed to buy a house in Union City, which is the East Bay. Uh, we grew up in a little, um, in, in, in a Chicano barrio, uh, Ticoro has a rich Mexican American history. And, you know, my parent, my mom worked at a local factory um, there in Ticoro. And what they would do is they would send us to Mexico in the summers um, with my grandma. So it was, you know, me with my abuelita, my little sister, and we would just go to Mexico, man. That's you know, months, bro. I mean, we were like two months, July, August. That's where I had my exposure to my culture. And one of the unique things, Noah, is uh, we were very, very, very Catholic. I mean, hardcore Catholic. Yeah. And that, you know, that part of Mexico is like that, you know, Michoacan, Zacatecas, Jalisco. And uh, one of the things was my, my grandmother's sister is, uh, was a nun, rest in peace. Uh, and, you know, nuns live in convents. And you know how it is in Mexico, a lot of hospitals are Catholic. Actually, mm -hmm. most of the hospitals are Catholic. And so as a way for my grandma to spend time with her sister, we would go to the convent. And this is in, this, in the city of Tepatitlan. So, you know, we're about, you know, close to Guadalajara. And so I was a little kid in this hospital that was a convent, which is crazy because it's like this it, it, crazy experience where, you know, I'm living, you know, I'm a little kid living with nuns, bro, in the summer <laughs> and, and, it's, and it's nuts because it's like, it's a hospital. So just imagine this, you know, brick hospital. I mean, the, the, the hospital is like, old you know brick building crazy and these old structures in mexico probably predated the revolutions from mexico Dang. and bro it was old school they had this this copper bell with the or rope and they would that's how they would call for breakfast lunch dinner <laughs> and that's that's i was a little kid i was environment it was a really really rich environment it was, it's like if you were transported to like the 1600s mm -hmm. you know and you're just like living with monks it's like going through a portal back in time. And what the good thing was about this experience, Noah, is that it was a hospital and the medicine was right there. So to give you an example, I'm walking around hospital and it, it let's say a trauma, like there was a car accident in the city. You know, that person would just drive, you know how it is to just drive to the hospital. So I would see like people coming in bloodied up, almost dying and you're just a little kid. You just, I'm walking around the hospital. You know, it's a small little convent hospital. And <clears throat> that was my exposure to medicine. It was real. It wasn't like sanitized through these barriers. It was there. It was in your face. And, you know, what's crazy is I never saw an exchange of money for health like the way it is here. It was just mm. like, treat you and this is the way it is. And, and so I, I met a lot of doctors there when I was a little kid and um, you know, became very good friends with them. Like, like, you know, they're older people. And I'm like, Oh, you know, really cool. What you do, you know, I was just very, very inspired. And it was just this crazy, unique mix of living with nuns and being exposed to medicine. And then, you know, people were having babies and, you know, there's a little maternity ward and I'm just like, dude, I'm a little kid. And I'm just yeah. walking around, look, look at the new more babies. I mean, talk about the richness of being exposed to medicine and and honestly, I think in my subconscious, that's what it was. I think I was, I was always interested in medicine and it was in my DNA because of, of my experience in Mexico. Mm. And, and I think that really drove me. I like, I was like science. I was like, a, like when I was a little kid, I, I love like studying stars and comets and all that, you know, like I, I, I noticed that I love more science stuff, but mm -hmm. I think it was that exposure. For me. And I would say 
if I were to pinpoint to one thing that led me to science, to medicine, it's, it's my, um, my experience as a little kid. Mm -hmm. That's crazy too. Cause I feel like that's what I think summers are good for. And I don't think a lot of people, mm -hmm. especially from like neighborhoods that we grew up in, they don't get an opportunity to right? they're kind of trapped, um, whether it's financial reasons or whatever, you know, mm -hmm. but I think getting to experience other cultures, you know, traveling, right. I think that's the whole point. Um, and getting to see a little different part, even if it's your own family, you may not think as much, but like that kind of helps shape you as a person. And, uh, you know, it's good to go out and explore and try new things, even at an early age. Well, our culture is so rich, mm -hmm. Noah, like it's a disservice what the educational system does in this country, our culture, they don't teach us anything, man. Mm -hmm. So like my education, my culture comes from my home. Because my, my, like my parents, my dad has sixth grade education, you know, yeah. sixth grade education. He worked, man. My mom, she, Mexico, bro. They came in the seventies. Yeah. My dad came as a farm worker, straight up. Northern California, Oregon, farm worker, sixties. Mm -hmm. He rubbed shoulders with Chavez, man. He met Chavez. Dang. This, bro, this old school, man. I'm telling you, the, the, the history is rich. And, you know, this is before Chavez was Cesar Chavez, you know? Yeah. He's rubbing with them my dad's working with like community chicanos and you know you know he, in Dakota, and he's old school man i mean he was working there since the 60s and he he remembers chavez going to fremont and visiting the, the farm workers um like in um, fremont california it's a i'm sure you heard of the city it's where yeah. they make the tesla cars now oh dang okay and you know what's at silicon valley that's where chavez was man that that's the ass that's the blood of that that's the history of that place. Mm -hmm. You know, the history of, of Silicon Valley is our people were friends. And my dad, you know, was in the middle of all that. And so, you know, they got married and settled in, in, in Dakota in the seventies. And, um, you know, I was, I was born into that man, but, um, but, you know, the that I got from my culture was at home. Like I was taught about, like my, my parents were, were very, um, my dad, especially he was very enlightened you know, and he, he would, even though he had education, he would teach us about art poets, mm -hmm. you know, our, 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 um, you know, our contributions to art, to music, uh, you know, what Mexico was going through in the late sixties with the uprising and the silencing and the killings of students in 1968, you know, that was a big movement. That was before the, the, the Mexico Olympics. Mm -hmm. uh, you know, they, they killed a bunch of students because we students were demanding justice and, and, you know, basically just, they were demanding to have a voice. And my dad was, you know, you know, he, he would come to the U.S. and go back. So he was uh, kind, of, kind of like a Bracero, which I'm mm -hmm. sure you heard of you know, the Bracero yeah. programs. You know. He was doing a lot of that. And, uh, you know, he remembers all that, man. My mom was a nursing student in Guadalajara. And in, in 68, she remembers the, the federal government coming in, like the army, AK-47s, man, or whatever wow. guns they used back then. So everyone got on the floor and they were trying to like, just they were kidnapping like what they perceived as communists man it was a it was a worldwide it wasn't just in mexico it was a world it was a worldwide suppression of leftist ideals and yeah um you know and it's latin america and stuff and you know my, my parents were in the thick of that and um you know they got married and eventually came up here in the 70s but you know when i think about my inspiration for like getting that energy that came from home mm -hmm. you know like I, I always felt like the public school system really didn't do service to my like it just felt empty like yeah. oh, you know just like okay i'm here in school like okay <laughs> yeah you know it's not home home is where you learn you know you know and i think you're right we're lucky 
have parents that care because I had a lot of friends whose parents were incarcerated or parents were dead mm-hmm. and they didn't have that opportunity that I had because I had two parents, two, mm-hmm. two, two Mexican parents that were very enlightened and very hard. Yeah. And you take that for granted, right? I think a lot of times mm-hmm. when you're living and you grow up with that and mm-hmm. then you see your friends, you know, you, you see them and you may think, you know, they have more potential than you or you just see them kind of compete in school or compete in sports and they're competing at high levels. And then sometimes, you know, you don't know what goes on at home, though, and they kind of fall off the rails or they do something that you never thought they would or they get in legal trouble mm-hmm. or they're just kind of victims to their society <clears throat> and, and what's around them and older brothers, or older cousins or, you know, family stuff that's uh, outside of their control. And they're just kind of born into situations. But um, it's crazy. I, my grandfather was in the Bracero program, too. I want to mm-hmm. say he did that in the mid 50s starting. Mm-hmm. And so he's a little older generation. And then he had, you know, he had my mom and entire, you know, Theos and Theas over here starting like late 60s when he settled down but um you know same thing like I, I guess hearing always hearing stories of him and you know he he lost his father at a young age I really don't know the entire story but he had to start coming here around 13 14 years old as part of that program and so you know he was sent over at a young age and I think anytime like I was kind of faced with adversity just through schooling at a young age my mom my, my mom especially she'd always kind of bring up that example you know like hey like think about it like your grandfather at this age like he was forced to work an entire different country had to leave home and and she didn't do it to rub it in or like say oh like boohoo for you but I think she just did it because like you know he made a bunch of sacrifices and my parents did too but I think you know learning about my grandfather's sacrifices definitely inspired me he's like well who am I to like quit after this hard test or this hard class or this hard whatever you know it always kind of kept me moving forward because like man this dude really went through a lot and he loves us Mm -hmm. and he's still here today and you know, God bless his soul and everything. But, um, you know, mm-hmm. it's, it's crazy. Like, how can you disappoint that man? And um, mm-hmm. just learning about stories like that. I wish I knew more about my family and their history. Mm-hmm. But it seems like to kind of cut off right there. My grandparents, there's not much mm-hmm. shared. And because of, you know, we're growing up here in the States, the curriculum, especially here in California, you know, it's very, mm-hmm. it's very vanilla. It's very mm-hmm. cut and dry. Mm-hmm. And um, mm-hmm. they don't teach you a whole lot that keeps you interested. I, I don't mm-hmm. now working with kids you know, school always came easy to me, but now I work with kids and I can see why some things aren't appealing to them. Cause it is like a, a boring part of history. If they got to learn more about each individual's culture, you know, I know that would require a little bit more effort on the teacher's part, but if you could do some of you know, more interactive stuff and not so be cut and paste with the same boring stuff again, over and over, uh, I think these kids would like school a little bit more for sure. My brother's a te- uh, teacher. And uh, he teaches in San Jose mm-hmm. and he teaches middle school. So shout out to Leo Padilla, man. He'd be a great, great you know, person for you to interview and about this man. And, 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 and the, the reality is that you have to see yourself in the people that you're helping, mm-hmm. you know? And so, you know, this happens in medicine. It's called cultural concordance. That If you have a doctor who's of your similar background, you're probably going to have better outcomes. Right. It's not a secret, right? It's not controversial but it's profound. So if you, for example, like anesthesia and a lot of the work that I do is like, you know, and I know I'm jumping in the medicine part here, but I think it's a good example. Like if you have, uh, if you provide Spanish education for patients, they're more likely to pursue a certain medical because they identify with human. And um, absolutely. I mean, I think it's, it's profound, you know, in education and business and, and it, it, it's, it transcends any, any, any type of field, but you know, you said some very interesting things talked about Mexico and learning about your you know the 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 sacrifices of your family and and your grandpa 
and your grandfather, like that's what motivated me too, is thinking about the, the sacrifices of my family and stuff. And, and that, that's important because, you know, you're taught that from when you're little, don't take this for granted, mm-hmm. the sacrifice, right? I mean, we're first generation. And so you think how fresh it is in our mind that this sacrifice happened, like this sacrifice of our parents coming to a new country. Mm-hmm. I can't imagine picking up and going to China, if you will, as an example, and new, new language and this and that. Like, that's crazy. That's abstract in my mind. Yeah. But they did that. Um, and, um, you know, they picked up and went to a new country, even though this country was originally ours, right? yeah. which is another important part of history that, you know, we're, you know, we were taught, we were taught to have pride, like, you know, to um, really understand who we are in terms of um, like Mexican American, California, you know, the name itself, California, Arizona, these are all Spanish names. Mm-hmm. And um, no, you're right, man. It's the, you know, you're touching a lot, a lot of deep things, man, you know, family family um sacrifice um the inspiration of our ancestors and where we come from you know like our people are survivors and you know i think what we have we have something you know is that our families are really close from in proximity to where we're from so i think you said michoacan or zacatecas michoacan michoacan yeah all right michoacan and jalisco right next to each other and then guanajuato an hour away from my where we're from and you know, that part of Mexico, man, you know, Mexico is known for having two revolutions, mm-hmm. you know, in 18, early 1800s, early 1900s. But we had a third revolution, which is, the, you know, the, the, the you know, that was when the federal government, the, the Catholic Church is basically going at it. Yeah. And you think about that, man, that's it. <laughs> in that amount of time, three revolutions, that causes a lot of, you know, uh, trauma and a lot of um, it, it shapes you culturally. Mm-hmm. You know, this country is, um, you know. Um, whatever we had the American Revolution and the Civil War, but not nearly as much violence that our people was exposed to. So mm-hmm. we already are definition different. We have a different outlook. And so I think that's probably what fuels our hunger. You know, so I remember going to Mexico and you know the, and being exposed to the what happened in the late 1920s, which is the Cristero Revolution. So like they would tell us stories of our grandpa, like dude, the federal government will come in, they'll tell us stories like federal come in and um, you know, they would just straight up hang Catholics, like straight up just Ooh. hang people. Okay. And just as a warning, like, there you go. You know, this is when my, when my grand, when our uh, great grandfathers were kids. And, you know, I mean, that's crazy, man. Now that they made movies about it. I forgot the name of the movie, Andy Garcia's in the movie, you know, all this stuff. But imagine that's our grandparents living through that. Mm-hmm. And uh, um, Guanajuato's running in the thick of that. So, you know, one of the things that stands out when I was little is they would take us to this, um, to, to the martyrs' churches. So this, you know, I'm sure you've heard of this, uh, Toribio. Mm-hmm. So Padre Toribio, you know, they would take us, you know, that's right close to Halos Totitlan, where we're from. Actually, the name of the town is Santana. <laughs> oh, yeah. Yeah, go. it's close to Halos. And they would take us to visit his church. And this is our reality. This is our exposure to, right, the way that our grandparents taught us is they didn't they didn't hide from they would show us behind the uh, little glass like basically had his clothes when he where he was the clothes he was wearing when he was assassinated and it's still stained with blood you know this is in the late 19 like 20s and stuff but that's unique if you think about it like the like the protestant christian way is very different it's very sterile it's like you don't go into a protestant church like they don't have any of these visions of of of, of blood right of, of suffering 
but we were exposed to that even as mm-hmm. little kids like no 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 mira mira mijo look that's that's the blood right there that's that's what your ancestors went through that's you know yeah really, that shapes your that shapes everything your outlook on life so you're a little kid you're just, wow yeah. man and you don't even know the impact it has like to this day i'm still figuring this out mm-hmm. you know i'm still and, and i think it's me i think it, it really does motivate me today as a, as a physician you know what i mean mm-hmm yeah, and I think that was the cool thing about I took a, a few history of Mexico classes in like college and stuff whenever I had to take an elective. I'm a big history fan and I got a you know, chance to take a few different ones, but learning about like mestizo culture, right? Like in mm. our present day Mexican culture mm-hmm. is a good mix of like the native, whether it's Aztecs or a few other mm-hmm. people, right? And different tribes, their practices and their traditions, but also, you know, what the Spaniards brought with Catholicism. And, um, you know, the biggest one is like uh, the Lady of Guadalupe, right? Mm. That was like a combination, mm. you know, of like, it, it actually start originated as like a, a native yep. ceremonial thing. And then the yep. Catholics were like, okay, we'll just kind of adopt that and, and yep. twist it a little bit. And now it's celebrated, you know, entirely, at least in Mexico, right? But I don't think other Catholics around the world celebrate it like the way we do. So I just think it's kind of interesting, like, and you can go further into it from food, cuisine, art, mm-hmm. you know, the the you know, wardrobes and stuff like that that people wear. It's uh, it's all, it's a beautiful blend. And uh, there is that, that lot of like, compared to other cultures and other religions, like there is a big like native presence in our culture. It's so unique that the Vatican has even commented on this. You know, I can't remember, remember reading, you know, the, the, the exact words in the articles, but it is unheard of. Like parts of the world to walk into a, a Catholic church and before the image of Christ, you see the image of the Virgin Mary. You go to any church in Latin America, what do you see first? Guadalupe. That's, that's unique. That's unique. That's, that is a direct native influence. And it's profound, man. It's profound because it shapes our identity, man. I mean, there's a whole word for it. And I can't do it just because you know, I'm not a historian, but um, Marianismo. Mm-hmm. So Marianismo is a whole study of the, the, the influence of Virgen de Guadalupe, you know, in, in our, I mean, that's profound, man. I mean, it's just, you're talking about things that we, you know, affects our psyche to a T and, mm-hmm. you know, we're just beginning to understand this, but this, what I mean by like, this won't teach us this, and this is our history, you know, and, and it's a shame because, you know, how can you be a public school student in California, mm-hmm. <laughs> California, and not learn about the own history of California, the own influences the, you know, that, like you said, you know, like the Spanish history and the native history and, you know, like, how could you not like really dig down, you know, dig deep into that. And I think that probably would turns off a lot of kids to the, to the, to the public school system, to be honest with you. I think yeah. it really just, you know, well, what am I doing here? Yeah. And I think the biggest thing too, the, the demographics of teachers, principals, counselors, I don't know what it was like over there in Union City, but I felt like predominantly all my teachers through high school were predominantly white. That I maybe had like a few Hispanic teachers, um, but even then uh, they taught like classes like Spanish or um, uh, I think, yeah, it was like, or maybe like a science class, but I didn't, I could probably count them on one hand, the amount of diversity, right? That were non-white teachers. And so I think, you know, as a kid, you're just kind of like, well, okay, these, these uh, teachers, they come in from other towns, right? They come in from like different parts of Orange County, where I'm from, from like Lake Forest, Irvine, Laguna, little different areas. So they're not even like invested into our community. They're just kind of doing mm. it from a job. And, and you can kind of tell, you know, I remember my mm. senior English teacher, 
he was one of those I felt like teachers that kind of put in minimal effort. Mm-hmm. Same with mm-hmm. like my freshman English year teacher. Mm-hmm. And I remember those teachers just as much as the good teachers that I've had. Um, mm-hmm. The ones that just put very minimal effort and just kind of like, eh, B plus or whatever, you know what I mean? And it was just kind of like, all right, well, yeah, you know, what's, what's the point of even trying? What's the point of putting max effort and, and going above and beyond, right? Um, you're, you're, to- you're, you're touching on the deep, it's representation. Yeah. It's uh, concordance, like I said in medicine, or cultural concordance. Like this is a big, big problem in higher education, mm-hmm. you know. And, and I mean, dude, you, I, I felt it when I was in school. It was the same thing. It was exact same experience as you. Mm-hmm. Exact. And the problem is, Noah, it's that the problem is that you know, actually, we are we're Mexicans. We're Mexican, right? We we have our own culture, our own identity, and. That's the majority. So in our, in our barrio in Dakota, like we're all Latinos, man. Most of are Mexican-Americans. My wife grew up in LA high school, 99% Latino. Straight up, Southgate, California. Yeah. Heard oh, Southgate. Yeah. I heard, yeah, it's, all, Southgate. <laughs> it's all Mexicans. And I remember going to, I remember going to Southgate to visit. I'm like, dude, this is all Mexicans, man. Like deep <laughs> Mexicans. You had like the Los Sombreros and the whole thing. And, but when you have a dominant culture like that and you have a lack of representation in, in education, it's not just the identity that's a lack of representation, but it's the ideas. Mm. It's the ideas. And so like, you know, what are, you know, like I remember in the early nineties, our issues, I remember we're here, we're like, um, you know, the, uh, um, our issues were like, um, you know, when Pete Wilson was, uh, you know, basically um, in a sort of a, because I was a fourth grader. I mean, you got to think, man, I was a fourth grader, but I was already exposed to like what some of these, you know, um, frankly racist, like, uh, like deport Mexicans, you know what I mean? I was a fourth grader. I mean, I'm digging back into memory here, but yeah. you remember that. I mean, think about that as a fourth grader. And so you really think like, if I brought this stuff up in fifth grade in a classroom, like, trust me, man, the only way that that would be a fruitful conversation is if you had a teacher that understood that. Mm-hmm. Under, hey you know what this this is what this community cares about you know a good example today is like you know um the issues with ice right you know the issues with ice like you need to have a teacher that just understands the plight of these communities and you just you just have a higher chance of likelihood of how identifies with it if they're culturally similar mm-hmm. you know what i mean and, and that's the reality i mean it's just the truth man it's the truth and yeah like my brother, I think, really tries to, you know, practice that way. Because San Jose is a lot of Latinos. Right. And, you know, he really tries to practice that way. But it's you're right, man. It's absolutely true. Absolutely mm-hmm. true. Well, sticking with the theme of school, how are you as a student through grade school all the way up to high school? Ooh, it's a loaded question, man. <laughs> we got we to gotta take that in, in bits, bits and okay. pieces. So uh, the first thing is, like I, I mentioned a little earlier, I was just into science. Like I always knew, man, I was like just geeking out in science. And, you know, the problem with our neighborhood was, um, you know, it's a low income neighborhood. And so you had a lot of the difficulties and a lot of the obstacles of a low income neighborhood, like overcrowded classrooms. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> you know, quality of education probably wasn't there. And you know, a lot of like kids can't uh, gang banging and do this other stuff, you know, and it dilutes of your experience. And all of a sudden you got to play the part man, because you're going to get picked on if you're different. Right. That's the reality, you know? So you think I could be in a classroom like that and talk about, you know, 
uh, so like I'm thinking back in the fourth, fifth grade, I was interested in like comets and asteroids. Yeah. You know, and you think I'm going to sit there and talk? You know, no, no, it's, no, it's not like, you know, these kids are, these kids are going through stuff, man. I was lucky to have a stable home and stuff. But, you know, I had friends whose parents were incarcerated. Uh, you know, kids started like doing drugs already. Probably the earliest I remember hearing was like sixth grade. You know, kids were smoking weed, yeah. doing this. Your environment's changing. And these are good kids. And you see it, their environment's changing. So you got to play the part, you know, you want to fit in, you want to be part of the tribe. And that's what I did. I know I just started fitting in, even though I was a really good kid, you know, everything was good. Fifth, sixth, seventh, eighth grade. I remember things were, were solid. And then in high school, man, the things started just to get out of hand. Mm. You know, high school was crazy. So high school, you know, the, the problem was, no, in our neighborhood, there's a, in Dakota, historically, there's a lot, there's, there's been a lot of problems with the, um, the history of the police department mm. or, um, and our communities and i uh, you know there's there was there you know high profile cases man you can look up in the news like you know citizens killed you know uh, mexican citizens killed Damn. and um i mean this is crazy man this dates back to the 70s and um you know when you're born into that environment you feel it but you understand it so an example is you know things started to get really out of hand in high school and um, I just felt like the teachers didn't really care. And by this time, I had a lot of friends that were just really getting into trouble. And, um, you know, I frankly, I just stopped caring about school, you know, fights, this and that. I mean, I was never in a gang per se, mm-hmm. but the, the, the aura and everything that was spinning off the violence, man, like, you know, our neighbors selling drugs. <laughs> it was like, it's crazy. Yeah. I mean, just by proxy, you're it's just, it's going to affect what you see, you know, and, um, and, and, and how you react. And I just stopped going to school. It was like sophomore year, you know, it was like, so fine. And I was like, oh, I just don't want to go. Mm-hmm. I just didn't feel safe. I don't want to go. I was at home. I just didn't want to go. My dad was, you know, my dad's old school Mexican. You know, he's like, I mean, dude, I had, I had, but this is a sophomore year. I had, four f's or four d's and two f's it was just a it was i was just done i was done with school man. and my dad was like no i know we're gonna get together we're gonna rally together and um it was crazy because how how can i how can i just get myself to that level of not caring i I think subconsciously i just didn't want to go to school because i knew things were bad you know all these kids that grew up with good kids but we were just all going down the wrong direction Mm -hmm. and my dad was like all right you know, went to my counselor's office and I'm in my counselor's office. Like, all right, you know, like I'm getting in fights, this and that. And I mean, frankly, like for me, I wasn't looking for violence. I, I felt like I just was, you know, I was trying to hang out with my crew of friends and, you know, there was just a lot of violence and stuff. And right. my dad was like, all right, how are you going to protect my son? And they were just like, they didn't care, man. And so my dad was like, I remember him, you know, on the, on the ride home, he was just, dude, this is three blocks away from my house, three blocks away. And my dad was like, hijos de la, doo, 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 you know, hijos de la. he knew, he knew his being ignored. That's crazy, right? This is yeah. three blocks away. This is you, we pay taxes to the school system. My mom works hard, you know, the factory that, you know, we should, this should be like, should have been like, what are, you know, we're going to do everything possible. None of that. Right. So my dad, this is the resourcefulness of the immigrant community. This is what immigrants do. 
my dad called up his friend in Fremont. So Fremont's, you know, 20 miles away, you know, uh, or next city over, you know, and he's like, my, his friend owned a home over there. It's a higher socioeconomic uh, school system. Mm. And he's like, hey, can we use your address? And this is, this is like a Mexican immigrant, Don Luis, man. Rest in peace. He's, a, he's, a, he's an angel. And uh, he's like, yeah, we're going to do it. He's like, you, you, you know, my dad's Polo, Don Polo, no se preocupe. Don't worry about it. Yeah. The address. And I went to a new high school. And wow. this, is a, this is my junior year, man. But, but the crazy thing is this. My dad was right. So the intuition of my dad was right. So I went to a new high school. This is 2002 as a junior. Mm-hmm. That year when I was at this other high school, you know, where I also enrolled in adult school to make up my credits because I had to make up my credits, right? You just can't grow time without making up your credits. Right. And so I'm, my dad would wake up every day, bro. We would drive 20, you know, minutes or whatever to this high school just to avoid all the craziness of my environment when my high school is three blocks away. Yeah. Wow. Okay. That year when I'm over there, police raid the police bro they set this up the school said the police raid in my house i was supposed to be at three blocks away from my house mm-hmm. they go in the classroom bro they just pick up kids that look latino pick up kids that look filipino no. they just bro they start raiding their stuff they separate these kids all crazy bro. you're talking about an insane i'm not a lawyer but an insane amount of civil rights violations yeah the aclu goes in bro and the school settles 60 kids bro 60 kids so think about this while I was gone over there, I could have been one of those 60 kids. Mm-hmm. And that speaks to the environment. So my dad was right. My dad rolled the dice on his son and he was right. You know, I mean, you know this. When the ACLU is involved, it's no small deal. Right. Hell yeah. It's the American Civil Liberty Union, man. Like, like that is a big deal. And they won. And they won for a reason because it was wrong. Mm-hmm. It's a direct violation. And so now all of a sudden, it makes sense. The environment, the tension, that tension that I remember feeling, it's validated, bro. Mm-hmm. You know, history has validated my dad's decision you know because back then it would have been like, oh you're someone else's address you're bad you're bad you know what's worse getting picked up by a cop and being racial yeah. you know being profiled racially that's worse yeah that's worse and history absolved my dad man i mean it was mm-hmm. beautiful because we know it and he made the right choice and that's what we do as immigrants you know so yeah. so i'm over here at this other city you know finishing up my credits and going to high school and you know, still liking a fool, but you know, I'm not, I'm not getting in. (laughs) It's not, I'm not failing at every class, you know? Yeah. And, um, and I'm still going to Mexico every summer. I'm still going to Mexico, you know? Mm -hmm. So I had that to follow. It's my culture. Yeah. (laughs) But isn't that a shame going back to the whole school thing? Cause I see the same problem here too. Like a a new school opens up in like the city of Santana and I, all of a sudden, like they're the they're the school that has like a different curriculum, right? They have a fundamental, mm-hmm. that's like the label that they throw onto it. And mm-hmm. so it's like a, you know, they're supposed to have better teachers. They have a better curriculum. Like they have to do stuff outside of what the state recommends them. And so like, you know, every parent that cares, they want to get their kids to there, mm-hmm. but it's like, all right, well, then what does that mean for the other schools? Does that mean you're mm-hmm. just going to suck those resources dry? And then all the kids who can't get into that school or just parents don't care like they're forced to settle for like such a mm-hmm. you know such a, a shitty education and you know mm-hmm. city of santa Ana, there's a high school century high school um mm-hmm. yeah, i used to read the newspaper a lot as a kid in like 2011 they had like the highest teen pregnancy dropout rate in the mm-hmm. city of california you know mm-hmm. and it, it, you just like heard mm-hmm. different stories of like saddleback high school where my parents went to it has mm-hmm. gone under the gutter you know and all mm-hmm. these different high schools in the area because 
you know, as soon as they open one up, it's like, okay, let's all flock there. And mm -hmm. the city puts all the resources there. Mm -hmm. And now all the other ones suffer. And it's just, it's, it's crazy to see that though, you know, mm -hmm. it's crazy that we amount to that. Yeah. It's, it's very unfortunate because, um, it, there's such an inequality mm -hmm. in funding. And, you know, I picked this up, you know, my older brother really exposed me to a lot of these topics, you know, um, and it's just very unfortunate, man. Like, you know, because it, it's the Bay Area's, I mean, dude, it's Google, Apple's there. I mean, come on, man. It's like wealth that you can't even imagine. But where's that wealth going? Where's that wealth going? Right. You know, it's concentrated. It's concentrated in a few school districts and a few, in a few schools. But, you know, you have all these kids in Hayward, in in Dakota, like suffering mm -hmm. for what you know and, and you know the sad thing is Noah that I think we just our, our our parents like they knew they felt it but just what are they gonna do mm -hmm. I didn't we didn't know lawyers growing up we didn't know doctors growing up they just knew the instinct which the instinct was to protect their family to work hard yeah and and that's what they did and that provided a good backbone but even then it's not enough because the system is gonna you know, we, we have to maneuver these obstacles, man. So I would say, you know, looking back, it was my culture, my parents' determination, the resourcefulness that I talked about going to new school. But it was also going to Mexico because that summer where I dropped out, you know, went to his new high school, mm -hmm. I met a girl. I had that girl's my wife, bro. Oh, wow. So, yeah, man. Yeah, we went to Halos and she's from Southgate, you know, so we were, you know, we're out there in, 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 uh, in Mexico. Just, 14 year old girl, 16 little, little knucklehead man yeah <laughs> you know acting a fool and just being a kid you know i wasn't a bad kid none of us were bad you know how bad can you be when you're 14 15 you're not bad, right man. you're not bad you're just you're just a reflection of your environment and and, and it's crazy because i met her and i'm like damn she's like i'm going to berkeley so i'm going to see i'm like damn <laughs> okay <laughs> okay and then here i am i'm like oh, i'm trying to make up my <clears throat> trying to make up my credit <laughs> yeah <laughs> but it was a good example because we needed that right so what you know we need good examples good role models and um, and i was like all right you can do this so it was baby steps bro it was baby steps it was making up my credits uh at adult school you know the adult school system a big shout out to adult them i spoke to you know, some of the representatives earlier today, I gave an interview for like the adult school system. And so like, Oh, nice. Um, so I'll let that interview, you know, talk about that, you know, shed light on that plight, but, but, you know, it was, it was there for me. It's, it serves a vulnerable, it serves a purpose. And, and I enrolled in adult school concurrently in my junior year while I was in high school and uh, you know, um, credits, man. And then I came back to my original high school mm. two blocks away. And here's the crazy part. Came back, all my friends, gone bro everyone's dropped out every yeah. i mean the majority of the and those who weren't were affected psychologically yeah like they just weren't there they were up to, up to par you know mm -hmm. and um you know what was nuts was when i was at um when i was at this new high school in fremont i had i i met very influential people and, and you know i want to give a shout out my friend james marrero so um should say the right way, Shenzo Marrero, you know, he's a Puerto Rican, half Puerto Rican, half black, um, you know, um, the kid who I met in the 10th grade. And just mind you, 
I'm literally fresh. <laughs> I'm almost dropped out, right? Yeah. I go, I go to the new high school and I meet this kid. He's smart, man. Smart, very sure of himself. And he's like, yeah, I'm going, you know, to Rutgers. I want, I'm going to go to Rutgers University. I'm like, oh, shit. Bro, I never heard of that. <laughs> yeah. I mean, it blew my mind, right? Because my friends are over here in Dakota, you know, it's just, we're, again, we're products of our, we're not violent by nature. We're just products of our environment. We're trying to survive. And I'm like, yo what is this <laughs> and then and then all of a sudden i started to look inside of me and i'm like can i you know and then uh uh he's just a crazy part bro and this is where like you know you know it's almost like a god god saying you know i um i met his mom and you know it's his mom uh, dr santalina marrero bro i didn't even know she was a doctor bro back mm-hmm. then and i met her she takes me in her in her house she see uh, what i see i just see a latina woman yeah so i, I you know now I'm like, okay, it's a Latina woman, just like my mom or my, my tias, you know? She looks at me, bro, and she just looks at me like one of her sons. And I'm like, bro, is that love, you know, that love from the community. And I'm like, now think about this, Noah. You know, she is basically, um, you know, she's, you know, coaching her son on her way to a four-year. And here I am, and you're about, like, you tell me what parent would let that happen. Yeah. You know what I'm saying? Right. But she had the insight to understand, right? She's a, she, she is, she understands, you know, what the Chicanos were through. She understood, you know, she spoke to my mom, she, my mom, she understood our struggle wow. and she's like, no, man, like this is just, he's a kid, you know? Mm-hmm. So, you know, James is a friend, um, they're a close friend, you know, un hermano, you know, till this day. And uh, it turns out, you know, Dr. Santalina Marrero is an expert in diversity and inclusion, man. Mm. <laughs> she's she she's a profound figure she's a a leading voice mm-hmm. and you know and that's that was like someone who believed in me someone who understood what we went through as as americans and um it's beautiful and it's beautiful because you know you need that you need the community you need examples you need figures you need to believe right. and you know oh wow here's this woman who believed in me and and my friend who's a plan of a four year and stuff. So by the time I got back to my high school, I was already a different person. So, uh, you know, I, even though I wasn't a straight A student, by no means, I managed to, you know, scrape by with C's and B's and, 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 and I graduated on time, mm-hmm. you know, so I, so I was able to graduate on time. And, um, you know, the next step was um, uh, community college because it was just unrealistic four year. Yeah. You can't go to a four year with a two point whatever GPA I had. So, uh-huh. So uh, it was a community college system that I, that I enrolled in. Yeah. But shout out to the community colleges, especially here in California. Mm-hmm. Man, they, in my experience, I went to Golden West and Huntington Beach. And then mm-hmm. um, that was a community college. And then after that, I transferred to Sacramento State. But I, I still think like I had all my best professors. Like if I had to do top five, four of the top five come from my junior college. You know, mm-hmm. and if you go top 10, I would say like seven of my top 10 are from my community college. And I just think like there's still like sometimes a negative stigma to people who go mm-hmm. to community college. My mm-hmm. goal was to continue playing football because I had a bad knee injury my senior year. Juco? In high Did you play do Juco? Yeah, I played Juco. So, um, so have you seen? Uh, have you seen? Uh, you know what's the next Netflix series? Yeah, Last Chance You, right? Did you see the Oakland one? Yeah, Laney College. Oh yeah. Yeah. So remember the Simone kid? Uh, yes, the yeah. one he has a father, right? Yeah. Yeah. He that's two blocks away from my house. Oh snap! Okay. I think he, I think, because, see, you know what's crazy is, 
but you're right. Shout out to the community college system. I don't mean to cut you off, man. No, you're good. You got me excited because so yeah, shout out to the community college system. Some of my professors too, the best ones that I had prepared me, believe it or not, really mm-hmm. prepared me for medical school coming out of there. So like I, we had professors from UC from Stanford mm-hmm. um, that would teach at community college. And um, oh, wow. you're right, man, you know, it saved us a lot of money and um, it gave me a good foundation because, you know, I, it was unrealistic that jump too high. I had to go baby steps. So, so anyways, on the, the, what is it called? Last chance university. Is that what it's called? Yeah. Last chance you. So I was watching it and I was all excited. I'm all oh, college, Oakland, this and that. Yeah. And then they show this scene and I'm like, dude, that's, that's by my house. <laughs> it's, I was like, dude, I was like, no, it can't be. I'm like, that can't be, you know, cause mm-hmm. it, the, the Bart's there. And I'm like, the, you know, the, it's the, the, the train and stuff. And I'm like, no, no, but that, it looks too similar. And then I, it turns out, yeah. Like that kid is like, right. Like two, two, uh, like two blocks away. Uh, mm-hmm. So I think it was like 11th street or something. And we grew up on 13th street and I'm like, dude, that was crazy because that documentary really, um, you know, that one about Oakland really puts in, they do a really good job of the culture. It's, it's this, it's just a very hard cult. Like these kids work hard, man. Yeah. Kids work hard sleeping in the cars and that's the grind. Yeah. And that's, that was my upbringing. It was a grind. It was working hard. It was, you know, just like I said, you know, community college and, you know, the just working class kids, man, we're trying to make it. Yeah. And um, so it, uh yeah you're right 100 the community college system a big shout out and, and and i think you're right they unfairly get a negative stigma but it's not mm-hmm. fair because it's a bell tool um and a formidable tool for success for us right so after you got finished up at the community college where did you uh, attend university at well this is crazy because you know there were steps there so i'm at community college and, I, and, I'm, and I'm doing well i'm doing well and I'm like, well, I think I could do this. I'm like, I started remembering. I'm like, I think I like medicine all the summers in Mexico and the hospital. Yeah. And then there was a program. Shout out to this program. I really want this program to get recognition. It's, um, you know, I got to look this up real quick because I want to get the, the acronym right. Um, okay. Let me just get this. You may you need to edit. <laughs> no, no worries. No worries. Um, hold on. Because th- this is important, man. I, I really want to get this right. I, I, was, I just get two, uh, two of the words. All right. So. Okay, so, um, so you were saying after um, community college, mm-hmm. um, where where do I where did I go to a four year? So, there was some steps there, and you know I really had to prepare for pre med. I was really interested in medicine. I knew you know for my summers in Mexico, this is what I liked, um, and there was a program I, I remember very distinctly. I was walking through the halls in my community college. You know, I was outside of like the biology lab or something, and I see a flyer. And it said um, Stanford University Minority Medical Alliance (SUMMA), and it was basically like a like a a workshop, like a two two day workshop, um, that is aimed for underrepresented minorities that are looking to excel in the science medicine in particular. And it was held at Stanford, so it was a chance to go to Stanford and be like and and meet uh, Latino doctors. Uh, you know, uh, black doctors, and they would help you with like essay writing, with interviews like that. And just hear the testimony from medical students that were Latinos or doctors that were Latinos that that you know that I can identify with. And that was crazy because you know the the path program like that is it, it's beyond just a little flyer and you know going and learning how to write. The power is that you felt included. Yeah, 
So I've never seen that before, man. I mean, you got to think like I grew up like Stanford was like this foreign concept. Yeah. <laughs> like, you don't think about that, man. Like it's like a different galaxy, you know? Yeah. And, and now all of a sudden, you know, I'm doing pretty well in, in junior college. I'm doing well in biology. And I see this, this flyer. Oh, you mean that they would, they would invite me and I can meet Latino doctors? No, can't be. So I go. And it's Chris. I'm telling you, man, it's transformative because now you feel included. That's the power of these things, man. You feel, I was like, man, I showed up to campus on campus, you know, and I'm like, it's just exhilarating, man. It, 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 it does a lot to your mind. Mm-hmm. It does a lot to your mind. I feel sometimes it's mind over matter. And, um, you know, those baby steps, Noah, that I talked about, it's the baby steps of like, of, of believing in yourself and these programs bring in that power and just hearing the testimony, like I remember, I'll never forget this. I remember a Latino student. I think he was from LA. He's Chicano, mm-hmm. and he's a he's a resident or a medical student at UCSF, and he starts rapping. Oh. <laughs> and I'm like, yo, we grew up doing that, you know. We grew yeah. up like, like, you know, like freestyling. And this kid was freestyling. I'm like, no, <laughs> this this this, you know, this Mexican kids up there he's like me yeah i mean he's like me i, I could do that yeah <laughs> i'm like i'm like no and, and i think he's wearing like you know he's wearing some nikes you know with, you know shoes a big thing and, and growing up it's like so you know went to that program and you know i understood what it meant to organize your portfolio your your um you know your um your essays for medical school and and what it means to apply for the you know, to prepare for the MCAT, which is the admission school test. And they take you, they break everything down into sizable chunks for you. Mm-hmm. And um, I transferred to the University of San Francisco. And uh, by that time, I had a few scholarships in line. You know, I still, I still, you know, it was, it was expensive, but I wanted to go there because um, probably because it was a Catholic school and I felt like just very comfortable at a very, mm-hmm. at a smaller school. But I wanted to go to a smaller school because the statistics, you know, by this time I knew that the, and actually I learned this at SUMA, to be honest, they break down, like, I think statistically, like how likely you are to get into a medical school, depending on what institution oh. you come from and, and a painful reality, but it's the truth, right? So you got to play the game. You got to know uh-huh. a painful reality. That, um, if you come from a private school, you have a higher likelihood of getting into med school. Oh, wow. It's just the truth, man. It's the truth, you know, and, and it's just the way it is. I, I mean, I can't, I can't pretend to understand all the so i understood what it meant like like i don't i probably could have gone to uc berkeley but i also knew that that like my wife was already there my mm-hmm. girlfriend she was at berkeley and i pre-med students it was like a very it was very big very intense mm-hmm. and i didn't want to be a part of that i wanted some smaller low-key where i had the, the the close interactions with the professors mm-hmm. so usf was it so i went to the university of san francisco um finished up there and uh, started applying to med school, man. And, um, you know, started to get interview offers and, um, you know, one thing led to uh, upstate New York called Rochester, New York. Oh, wow. So, so that was it. I mean, that was the big step, but it, you know, no, it's important to, you know, for me to say that it it was all baby steps, Mm -hmm. you know, it was, um, it was, you know, the first, I think the most impactful was, going to a new high school mm-hmm. to adult school believing in yourself like we didn't let we didn't let the system define 
our future. Like we did it. My dad pulled me out of the high school. We went to a new one. You know, he enrolled me in the adult school, helped me enroll. You know, we sought out, you know, I sought out the SUMMA program. Um, shout out to that program. You know, really, you know, maybe you have a little link, you know, put it on, man. And so like, it was these little things that led to the psychological growth. Mm-hmm. It was a growth mindset. You know, we hear a lot about it. It was a growth mindset. I just believe in myself, man. And by this time I felt comfortable. All right. I have a really good foundation. I have a really good education behind my, you know, under my belt. And, um, you know, I was like, let's do it, man. They just uh, have to apply to medical school. And I got in, got into mm-hmm. it, you know? Yeah. I felt, awesome. like that, I felt like that was a chapter in my life. And then a new chapter began in medical school, but it, it definitely, I mean, that, that, that was, that's a story. Mm-hmm. Yeah. That's awesome to hear it too, because I think the biggest thing when you grow up in like communities like us from a young age, you're almost taught, like, it's not cool to be interested into school. Exactly. And, and so when our ancestors were like, basically science, right? Yeah. Like, 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 like the Mayans <laughs> invented the concept of zero, but then it's not cool. Like, that's not you, man. Right. Yeah. You are like, your ancestors are like, <laughs> you know, look at Europe in the middle. In the dust you were, you know what I mean? Yeah. And, and, and that's, you're right. You're right. Like, why is that? What, why is that shame? Why do we have that shame that are smart for kids that right. are interested in science? Why? Right. It should be the opposite. It should be like, no, you are a descendant of those, of that greatness, of yeah. that greatness, of those poets, of even if you don't like science, of literary art, music, mm-hmm. or anywhere around the world, people love Mexican culture. Right. Hell yeah. <laughs> you know, <laughs> yeah. it's like, you know what I mean? Like, you know, people hear mariachi and stuff, and it's, it's, Thanks, man people in japan and everywhere yeah so i think you're right like wh- why do we have that shame mm-hmm. you know in, in, in kids that are smart and kids that want to excel academically and, and, and you know i think i think what you're getting at is you know we're here to break that stigma yeah but i think the challenging part too is in that high school age or maybe after for some people you almost got to like reteach yourself um mm. different work ethic and different methods because school has always been put as like and it's like, don't even trip about it. Or, you know, that kind of thing, that mm. stigma for being smart in school to, I feel like it's, it's a lot, it's a bigger of a comp, it's a big accomplishment to get a degree, no matter where you're from and, you know, your background. But I almost say it's 10 times more as challenging to come from uh, an environment where it's just not as prioritized and it's not as paraded. And then you have to like reteach yourself as an adult. Cause there's you know, a few times too, where, mm-hmm you know, you just don't believe in yourself and, and then you meet mm-hmm. other people and the belief in themselves comes so easily. And then you like learn about, you know, what, what kind of background they came from or, you know, mm-hmm. kind of community they came from socioeconomics mm-hmm. that they came from. It's like, Oh, wow. Like that is different. You know, like you, you had to step up because you grew up in just based off the geographic location of where you were born and what high school you went to and what education you were exposed to. But, you know, it, mm-hmm. it, it was a challenge in college. Cause it was like, you know, a lot of times when I was presented with challenges, you know, I didn't really believe in myself that I was capable of doing stuff. And, you know, it, it was always kind of like, you have to reteach yourself those ways. It's a shock. I went through it too. And, and you know, you know, maybe I'll, I'll ask you this, but I think that, well, here's the thing. Okay. We're in high school, right? So we're, we're a product of the public school systems, right? I'm a, you know, yeah. So um, we know, right. We know as kids, I, even as early as middle school, we know that we're not the rich kids. Right. We know that, right? So we know that. But why aren't they telling us that? It's a problem. Like, like for example, right? For example, like, 
okay, if you're born into a, this is stats. If you're born into a poor neighborhood, a poor, a lower socioeconomic school system, these are your chances. Yeah. But that's empowerment. So like, I, I feel like, honestly, I think we're doing kids a disservice. I think we need to teach kids that there are qualities like, Hey, you know what? The pain is real mm-hmm. because that's part of growth. The pain is real. Accept it. Accept it. The pain is real. The suffering is real. Your neighborhood is at a disadvantage. Doesn't define you. And then these kids, right? The, you know, our kids would understand that. Be like, you know what? Yeah, we know that. We know that. Do you think yeah. that would really come a surprise to kids? No, it wouldn't come a surprise. They know that, man. We, the problem is that you're giving these kids this illusion that's like, oh, yeah, well, you can go to a four year. It's like, hold on, man. Yeah. Hold on. Okay. You know, <laughs> this is a different reality that, mm-hmm. you know, a kid in East LA is a reality than a kid in Beverly Hills. Right. Okay. So, so let's not lie to the kids from East LA. Okay. Or the kids of Southgate. Let's teach them. Let's tell them the truth. We need to teach that. Do that. How do we teach kids that? Okay. You know, you're at a disadvantage. So here are, here are ways how we're going to work around it. Pipeline mm-hmm. programs, this and that. So I think that I felt that this, I felt like it was disingenuine from the system. Like I felt like, why are you lying to me? Like, I, yeah. I know, you know what I mean? I was like, why are you lying to me? Like, I know, like, I know the truth. Like, come on, man. Like, I, I know where I come from why you're lying to me, you know, yeah. like, it just makes it worse. You know, it, it makes you feel like it, it's just, it's a facade, you know? Mm-hmm. Um, and, I, and I think too, yeah. just to kind of add to that is like, there are a lot of scholarships and different opportunities to pull money from to get those mm-hmm. opportunities to go to four-year universities and that kind of stuff. Mm-hmm. But like stuff like mm-hmm. that, I was never really exposed to because my parents didn't directly mm-hmm. know about that. And, mm-hmm. you know, no one really close to them knew about that and kind of exposed me to that. But I remember learning in college, when I was almost done, you know, my senior year, I'm learning about, you know, kids who are freshmen at Sacramento State and they applied for this, this and that or like a migrant mm-hmm. worker scholarship. And I was mm-hmm. like, yo, like my grandfather was that mm-hmm. I could have qualified mm-hmm. for that. Like, but mm-hmm. none of one at my high school or in my circle exposed me and told me that. Mm-hmm. And, and I think that, again, you're doing that community and people's the members of that community a disservice. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it was the same way for me. Uh, I didn't know how to apply to the MCAT. And that's why you know, I didn't know uh, how much it costs. I didn't know the importance of college prep courses. I didn't know any of that. And that's why these bridging programs like SUMMA, you know, uh, at Stanford are vital because they provide a they provide a window into the other world, you know. And, and that's why it's key, man. You need these programs. You need these pipeline programs to help to help kids to motivate them. Mm-hmm. Um, but no, you're really right, you know. And, and you just you, we just need to be there i mean you know the the aamc you know has definitions for underrepresented kids you know mm-hmm. black mexican american puerto rican native american you know I, I think those are the four major groups right um mm-hmm. that are, are classified but there's a reason for that you know there's a reason for that you know who who is in franchise communities who is dying from covid yeah Okay, so there you go. These aren't just made up demographics. They're there for a reason because we are the ones suffering socioeconomically. You know, we're the ones that are on the, uh, on the fringes of society. And, you know, we need to be like, this is why the, the, the power of having people like positions of influence because we can, you know, these kids are going to see, these kids from these neighbors are going to see us in, as examples. Right. Yeah, you know, he, he could do it. Like, like the kid I saw rapping, at yeah. the SUMMA con, 
I saw myself in him. I'm like, yo, I could do that. Yeah. <laughs> I'm like, yo, I want to do that. But, uh-huh. but that's the power, man. That's the power. And it's mm-hmm. like, you know, we're, we're underrepresented for a reason because we are on the fringes of the social economic scale. Mm-hmm. And, um, you know, it's, it's very hard, man. It's very hard. Like you said, you were maneuvering the, the system. You felt like you were probably by yourself. I was by myself. You know, I was the only Mexican in my medical school class. Mm-hmm hundred kids, man, hundred something kids. I mean, that's crazy. Yeah. You're like, whoa. You know, I'm figuring things out. I'm knocking on doors. I'm like, I don't you know, like like for example, you know, I got my little, you know, when when I got my first uh like acceptance for medical school and, and I decided to enroll in upstate New York, I was gonna go to Rochester. Like I, I didn't think that you can um and like ask for a redo, I forget the word like on the on the financial aid. Oh, okay was just given like bro i don't know no one in my head i'm the only one in my school and looking back you know and and that and you know that added to a lot of my debt you know Mm. that i currently have but like yo come on man i'm a first generation you know uh (laughs) it's crazy like my parents you know working you know Mm -hmm. you know just doing everything they just better school interviews are expensive and and looking back you know you're right it's you know knowledge is power and i just you don't know like you, yeah. you know you said you figured it out your last year you're like about the pharma program you know this and that and you don't know man so it's it's the in addition to the culture shock it's just we're excluded because of the socioeconomics we mm-hmm. are excluded i mean the data supports that yeah and i think that's sometimes why you know going from like bigger picture po- politics wise i think it's kind of like you know you know you'll meet people who don't come from our communities and they just say oh well why don't you guys just work hard or, you know, like that kind of stuff. And, mm. and they have a different angle of it because they never lived through it. Right. And I, I think I don't even want to say it's ignorance. It's just naive. They don't know anything about that. And it's, you know, it's actually like when you get to see it and grow up in it, you're like, wow, there were these barriers placed in front of us. Uh, not for anything that we did, you know, just because we were born, like you said, to this particular family and this particular geographic location, but other than that, like we didn't do anything to kind of, you know, to deserve that, you know, obviously like as you get older, sometimes you're a victim of your environment and you do, you know, make bad decisions. But like you said, I don't think any kid is born evil or born bad. They're just no. a product of no. their environment. But there's a reality, Noah, of implicit bias, man. Mm-hmm. You know, like, like there, we stand this systemic oppression, systemic racism. Like yeah. when I was at USF, um, by no means do I feel like I had a racist professor. I don't feel, I don't feel like anything was explicit, you know, at least I hope not. (laughs) And, you know, it was a really good school, really good resources. But like, I remember, you know, and I I had a 3.5 or higher GPA. I can't remember, man. It was like my junior year. So I'm like, okay, you know, I could do it. I could apply to medical school. And I remember my counselor was like, yeah, you ain't going to make it. Mm. Straight up. She's like, no, don't apply. You're going to make it. And you know what I did? You think you think i think about the theme of my life before you know it was, it was like a replay of 10th grade in my head you think i'm gonna listen to her no, i'm no. gonna roll the dice like my dad did i rolled the dice and i'm like no man i'm betting on my my talent so mm-hmm. i did it on my own and i got in you know and nice. I, I got a, i got several offers you know and um th- that's an example though because because what if let's let's give you an example right so now i'm going to take you to medical school Mm-hmm. So medical school, I'm the only Mexican. And shout out to the uh, diversity and inclusion office that made me feel included. There's mm-hmm. a dean there, Dean Lee, amazing man. Just 
just an amazing uh, Dean, uh, uh, African American woman who really just took me under the wings and 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 really made me feel included. Mm-hmm. Um, really, honestly, just like a lot of sessions in her office. Uh, but you know, these kids, man, I'm going to school with you know, summer homes, sailing. Yo, what? <laughs> Like, like just hearing these conversations, you feel excluded. You're like, what is this? Mm-hmm. Trust fund kids, you know, come on, mm. man. Yeah. Cause so all the minority kids stuck together. I'm here. I went to all like, you know, there's like one other Puerto Rican, a few of the Puerto Rican, Salvadorian kid. I'm hot mom with you, man. Yeah. <laughs> I'm with you. Uh-huh. And uh, that that's how we survived, you know. I know, I mean, this is intense, man. I mean, this is an intense environment, but but then you start picking up on little things. Like I, like I noticed, like, you know, when, when the first two years of medical school are all uh, book-based, you know? So it's all like, you know, you study like the, the, the you're basically studying the human body, you right. know, like on cell level, and then you go to tissues, whatever. And, uh, you know, the human cadavers and all. Then when you go to third year, you go to your clinical rotation. So, you, you know, rotating that neurology psych, the whole thing, you know, surgery. Mm-hmm. And, you know, there are obviously the good rotations, like the good hospitals. Like you want to be at the best one, right? With the best teachers. And, yeah. And I'm like, you know, some of these kids are, they're, they're uh, like their parents were like doctors mm. and their parents were, were doctors, presumably donors. And you're like, they're, you know, you're like, are they getting better rotations? Mm. Why am I like, why am I getting the rotation? And like, yeah. And like, in out here, and I'm like, you feel it, bro. And like, yeah. and like I said earlier, don't lie to us don't lie to us you know we see it we feel it mm-hmm. and i'm like oh man i can't be the only one and that's the thing about like um inequality is that you know sometimes you're a canary in a coal mine sometimes when you bring these things up other people feel it they're like, oh no, no you're right you know like mm-hmm. sometimes you have to be the first one to, to speak out and you know i at that time i was just in survival mode i'm like i just want to graduate right you know i just want to graduate and just do my thing but you know no, i just want to mention something here man that's important is you know, I've, I feel like there's a secret to all of them. There really is. There's a secret that, that they don't teach us, you know, our kids from our neighborhoods. Yeah. And one of those secrets is that you have it already. Right. Like you, your energy, bro. You do take any of these kids. If this, that's a genuine energy, like what we have from our parents is genuine, man. Like, you know, like we have work, we come from a very um, ethical based culture mm-hmm. where like, you know, they show you those, those images of, of people who were martyrs from our Michoacan and Jalisco. Like, this is strong mm-hmm. ethical construct, man. And like, our grandmas walk those <laughs> straight lines. I'm telling you, man, yeah. you know, like, you know, if you hear, you know, Emiliano Zapata, right? Rather, rather, yeah. die on my le- uh, rather die on my feet than, than live on my knees. And this, those aren't just expressions for re- no reason. You know, we, we're not used to like, like in my family, I just, it just, you know, people weren't like, you know, politicking and, and sneaky and this and that. And, you know, there's always a bad, bad few in a bunch, but mm-hmm. I feel like it was my grandma who made me, my mom who made me, mm-hmm. you know, it was the old school principles. And I feel like I want to tell these kids like you already have it. Yeah. All you got to do, all you got to do is maneuver all these tests and these little things. Once you figure that out, you're going to yeah. make it like, like, cause you, the reality is Noah is the following. You know, when you're a doctor and you're on call, harshness, man, you're 24 hour call. You're on call doing surgeries in the middle of, you know, what's going to get you through, you know, what's going to, it's not going to be that summer home. <laughs> yeah. It's not going to be that, you know, it's going <laughs> to get you through. 
it's going to be your grandfather's voice in your head, man. True. It's going to be your parents telling you, hey, you know, sabes que mi hijo chale ganas, you know, it's going to mm -hmm. be remembering, yeah. like my, my dad would say, my dad would say, you think, you think reading is hard? You think your books are hard? Come and eat. He was in high school. He used to say, you know, come to the field, pick, pick strawberries for an hour and see how hard yeah. it is. And I oh, he man. Right. Yeah. He was right, bro. He was right. So I feel like telling these kids, I'm like, you already have it. You already have the secret sauce in you. Like that energy is authentic. You cannot yeah. replicate that energy. But we just got to get these kids from point A to point B. Right. That's it. So let's get you, let's maneuver this, this crazy system where these socioeconomic pressures exist, where these, you know, inequalities exist. In the words of Jonathan Kozel, he's a, a savage inequalities exist. You know, he studied mm -hmm. like the inequalities in the New York City system. Let's study this and let's get you from point A for point B. Right. That's really because we have something magical, man. Like, yeah, we, we, really, we really do. Yeah, it's about redirecting it. And I believe you used it uh, in an article that you wrote on the Kevin MD website is grit, right? Like mm. just Hispanics. I, I just feel like, like, I've always thought mm -hmm. that too. Like when you wrote it in your article, I was mm -hmm. like, yeah, like we're like the hardest working people, but why aren't there more of us in politics, mm -hmm. more of us as teachers, more of us as cops, more of us in whatever mm -hmm. field, you know, whether it's medicine mm -hmm. or anything we're mm -hmm. underrepresented. But I think, you know, yesterday, uh, not yesterday, this year, I did see something where like, you know, class of 2020 was the largest like percentage of Latinos graduating mm -hmm. from colleges mm -hmm. all across the country. And mm -hmm. so I feel like we're on the up and up. And like you said, it's just about navigating through those tricky waters, navigating someone through those obstacles. But with the grit that I feel like we're just almost naturally born with, you know, I, I don't. It, 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 no, it's a thing. Yeah. No, this is documented. I think the Pew <laughs> Research Center. So the, this is legit research. Like, yeah. you know, everyone talks about the American work ethic, right? American yeah. work ethic, you know. That's, the, <laughs> you know that, right? Yeah. You know that. Like, it's actually like when you look at Latino work ethic, immigrant work ethic, it's actually like uh, our, that element or believing in that is much higher in our culture than in the traditional american work ethic so it's yes. like people they oversell this myth of like american work it's not the american work ethic it's the latino work ethic yeah it's true you go to any cali you know right. who's working you go to any construction site we do not call in sick mm -mm. i don't call in sick you gotta mm -hmm. be hooked up to an IV, and you know, <laughs> it's crazy. No, I'm serious. Yeah, Colin's sick. That's it's part of us, man. We get that's deep. That's deep, and I think it transcends so many experiences from our upbringing. These are little things that are passed along from our grandparents and stuff. And maybe it was all the revolutions. Maybe it was just the grit of, you know, yeah, it's something unique. It's yeah unique that, that that's given to us but it is most definitely it's documented and i think i do link in one of my articles yeah it's a latino thing the work ethic we believe that we get ahead by working hard mm -hmm. and the i thing. think yeah and i think the circumstances too right like i think whether it was your parents my grandparents or anybody else who fled from mexico they were in search of a better life because the situation there in their hometown or in their wherever they were from it wasn't desirable it wasn't it was mm -hmm. unlivable and i think even you can extend it outside of the mexican culture right like look at what is going on in countries like um like el salvador or just mm -hmm. other guatemala mm -hmm. or even you know mm -hmm. i've had a few asian americans on the show and mm -hmm. their parents are victims of like really bad stuff that happened in vietnam and think yep, about like yeah. what happened there yep. thailand yep. you know people mm -hmm. had to flee because yo like mm -hmm. they could have died like any given mm -hmm. day and so they come with like a 
different kind of hustle. Well, like my parents, right? Yeah. With the 68, with the 68 student, you know, uprising, like, you mm-hmm. know, my mom had a freaking machine. She's a nursing student, bro. She had a freaking machine gun pointed at her. Like, yeah. stuff. like that's crazy. Yeah. You know, so that yeah. was like a 68 and that's probably what they came. They're like, mm-hmm. I don't want to do this. <laughs> yeah. You know? It breeds a, a different kind of hustle, you know? It's a hustle, bro. It's a hustle. And you're right, man. It, it is a hustle. It's genuine. And um, it, it, it's ethically bound, you know, um, it's almost like our shield, bro. Right. It's almost like we have a, like a Mexican shield, a Latino shield. And it's like hard work, <laughs> true, whatever, man, you, you describe <laughs> it. It's a shield of beliefs, man, true. but it's yeah. true. Like I can't, and, and this is important because this has, you know, this is based on like psychological or, or literature for psychology. Like once you start to lie, and once you start to corrupt yourself, like you deviate from, like it, it, it has a damaging effect, mm-hmm. you know, and, you know, a really good author to read is Dr. Jordan Peterson. Mm. This, uh, he really highly recommended. He listened to his lectures on YouTube and he talks a lot about this. He's like, once you deviate from the truth, like, you know, as a human being, when you're lying, mm-hmm. you know, when you're lying, it feels different. And I think that, you know, I feel lucky that, you know, in my family unit, what I've seen is I really like just, I was raised with really honest people that, and I was taught to do that. And it's crazy because every time I'm honest and just hardworking, things work out. Mm-hmm. They just work out on the, it may take a little longer, but they work out. Right. But it's that, it's the key is like, don't corrupt yourself. Don't corrupt your soul, man. Don't corrupt, you know, the, the that, that perceived truth you see in the world it's really important stuff and and i'm telling you to be to be a, a good doctor you really have to practice that way because there's a lot of things that come at you when you're a doctor you know you gotta you gotta sort through a lot of things you know what i mean and, and and it's really my upbringing that's my backbone mm-hmm. that's what makes me a doctor it's no joke yeah well i did want to bring up to another article that you wrote a few years back you wrote mm-hmm. um how you were born in the wrong era of medicine mm. Mm-hmm. and you described mm-hmm. it as lifeless i, I just kind of wanted to get your opinion mm-hmm. on what inspired the article and what you were meaning to that so that article inspired by my experience in mexico mm-hmm. so in mexico i saw medicine firsthand as a little kid i'm in this little convent hospital and it was real it was human bro it was it, you see the the blood you know like you know what i mean it's crazy right yeah. and it should be that way you know why are we shielding kids until I don't know, medical school from seeing death. That's a problem with American culture is that it's the, it, 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 we ignore death here in this, in this culture. It's, right. it's well known. Like we have a taboo talking about death. Mexico, you know, you know flowers and yeah. this and that, and it's different. It's different. And, and so why are, you know, why are we taking away from this beautiful experience? Like, like, okay, I remember I met this, um, say, Mama Salvador. So his name was Salvador. He's a young, young kid, Chava. He was a medical city and he was over at Rochester when I was a medical student. He was doing like a summer program. So he came from parents that were pretty well off in Mexico. Mm-hmm. And it didn't take away from his grit, but he was a true Mexican, man. This kid was from Mexico City. Mm-hmm. Believe he's from Hico City, true grit, you know, hardworking Mexican kid. Yeah. And his parents were business owners, whatever. But you know what he would do? He's like, hey, you know, he told his parents, he was 11 or 12. He's like, I'm interested in medicine. So they call up one of their friends, who's a surgeon, 
And they're like, hey, you know, my son, no, se llama Alberto. Alberto. So Alberto's interested in uh, medicine. And yo, he scrubbed in at 11 or 12. Oh, snap. Yo, here's the crazy part. Ready? Yeah. I'm talking about grit. Okay. I love <laughs> yeah. this story, man. And, and I haven't told the story in a while. So I'm talking about grit. And, and this kid, Beto, I noticed he was different. So I was teaching these kids. This is, this is like a high school program. It was like, uh, it was like a summer program, like in medical school. So I was like the, the faculty liaison, the medical school liaison. And these kids are like 14 years old, mm-hmm. you know, 14 going on 15. So they're like freshman and sophomore. Mm-hmm. And, you know, majority of kids are from the area of upstate New York, you know, mm-hmm. whatever, wealthy kids, you know, whatever, you know, it's just what it is, what it is, you know, it's kids, innocent kids. And, um, I noticed this Mexican kid, Beto. Carote. Yo, yo, where do you come from, man? He's like, and he told me a story, and I'm like, so I'm interested in neurosurgery, this and that. I'm like, okay, man, you got your head on straight. Yeah. And I'm like, so how'd you tell me how he scrubbed in and this and that? And I thought he just scrubbed in. And I'm like, that's cool, man. I'm like, that's how it should be. It yeah. should be like you, you're exposed to this stuff early on. Mm-hmm. And I remember like one of the workshops I had, one of the workshops I had was I take these kids through like, had a culture bacteria. Yeah, okay. And one of the workshops, it was like a two-week thing. One of the workshops was suturing, you know, had a suture. So we would get like these little uh, pig skins. So you get pig skins and you learn how to suture. Mm-hmm. And um, I was supposed to do it with um, a, a surgery resident. Mm-hmm. So a surgery resident was supposed to like, go in and teach these kids. Yeah. <laughs> and this, this resident was busy, whatever. I don't know. Couldn't make it. So he this person canceled the last second. And I'm uh-huh. like, dude, the, I was like, the, the workshop's over, right? Yeah. I'm like, I can't do it. Mm-hmm. Yo, Beto's like, I, I'll teach him. I'll no. <laughs> Bro. Oh, my God, dude. I didn't believe it. I didn't believe it. I, no, I can't be. <laughs> it can't be, right? And I'm like, yeah. I did, I did. show me. Dude, this kid knew how to do all these stitches, bro. Wow. Freaking, I can't even remember the name of it. Mattress stitches, figure eight. Mm-hmm. he's 15 years old yeah you know what? Wow. he's fit he's a baby and i'm like and i'm looking at him and then um i had this other faculty it's much older surgeon who was he's like a faculty sponsor you know mm-hmm. this guy's like a retired surgeon he's just there for fun <laughs> he just yeah. you know and he and i'm like and i call him in i'm like yo dr caldwell i'm like you know check this out do you think he's like it's legit he's like like he was blown away yeah like, how I'm like <laughs> i'm like yo he's in charge and all the other kids were like i remember this man i remember this all the other kids were like amazed and you mm-hmm. can see some jealousy yeah you could see the jealousy you know you could see it like well i thought mexico was like i remember one of the kids made a call mexico was like this and that and uh, beto was like bro we got like bigger cinemas than you do in upstate new york yeah like we know we're, we're a full-blown city yeah mexico city's no joke man right hell yeah we got some of the best you know museums in the world and he's like he probably thought like upstate new york was a joke uh-huh. <laughs> so he um he, he ran he ran the session bro he did the suture session that's tight i'm like i love that story man i love that story i haven't told that story in ages mm-hmm. and i think this is a perfect platform you know mm-hmm. but that's that's what i want kids to understand man these kids who, who are from our neighborhoods in the u.s it's like this from mexico city was just kicking ass mm-hmm. he, he he was even impressing you know these older surgeons that were yeah. like well established in their field and i'm like this mexican kid mexico to the bone from mexico mm-hmm. city i mean this kid like straight up chilango man yeah straight up like you're just like 
but but he had that grit. He had he's always like siempre estaba como like oh, thinking, 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 thinking. You know, he's always thinking about the next step. Mm-hmm. And um, you know, I have kept up with him, and I think he he did land a residency here. I, I think he's he's uh, well on his way to becoming a surgeon. <laughs> That's <laughs> crazy. crazy, right? It's a crazy yeah. story, bro. But it's beautiful. It's a beautiful story. Mm-hmm. It's a beautiful story. Yeah. Hey, but that's one thing my mom told me um, about her experience because I, I believe she moved, she was like eight years old to the US. And she told me like the school system in Mexico was ahead. So she had to redo the third uh-huh. grade once she got here uh-huh. to the United States, even though she had already passed the third grade uh-huh. in Mexico, it, it was uh-huh. just there behind. And then uh-huh. I have another Tia um, who I interviewed not too long ago because she's running uh-huh. for mayor in the city. Nice. She, was t- she moved in, I think later, I want to say like 11 or 12 to the United States, but same thing. You know, she like was almost like too smart or whatever age or for fourth grade. I think she moved to like nine or 10. Yeah, but, you know, she was she, she was like way advanced for like, you know, fourth and fifth graders. And like to where she would get impatient, she was saying, like for how slow of a pace the United States curriculum was yeah. moving compared to the Mexican. Curriculum. Well, in, in, in the whole world, 18, you go to medical school, which is yeah. a good and a bad thing. It's a good thing because if, for me, it was probably a better thing that I went to community college and whatever, you know, but um, but you need we you need to be fast tracked. I think you need to be like like I in eighth grade i was very interested in science i should have been it would have yeah. probably been better for me if i was fast tracked you know at that age just be in that pipeline mm-hmm. yeah now i was gonna say just going off that thing about being yourself and being a doctor too yeah uh, that's one thing i noticed from like your twitter right your mm-hmm. twitter account mm-hmm. and i wanted to ask you about hip-hop because i'm a big hip-hop head mm-hmm. myself mm-hmm. and spending some time in sacramento i got experience i got exposed to Mac the Drake. Bay, yes the bay area yeah scene. And so I just wanted to get, you know, ask you, like, what was the Bay Area scene of hip hop to you? It's crazy. So hip hop scene. Very deep question. And we can do a whole episode on that. <laughs> so shout out to my older brother, Leo Padilla, um, because he's 10 years my senior. So he exposed me to a lot of the hip hop of the, of the 90s, you know, because mm-hmm. I was born in 85. So I was coming to it. I mean, it was just a little baby, you know, mm-hmm. you know, come- Age, you know, 10 11 years old in the mid 90s what do i know right but yeah. you know you hear it on the you know but but he really filtered through the bs and gave me the good stuff mm. so i would say this all right 90s 90s bay area hip-hop Pac, right tupac i mean that's it right there man and, you know he's you know is basically repping oakland you know yeah i mean you know the la thing but come on man you know he was repping oakland he was rapping yeah. with lo- local rapper spice one mm-hmm. who represents hayward a lot Shock G too, right? Um, Shock G, <laughs> Souls of Mischief. I mean, this is just old school Bay Area stuff, you know. And um, for me, this is my experience, right? So I'm gonna take you, like, I'm gonna walk through as if I was in the hallways in middle school. What I was to, so I'm in the hallways, and I'm listening to kids rap about Pac, you know, rap the, the lyrics to you know to changes you know you know so when changes came out i was like I wake up in the morning and i asked myself yeah is life worth living should i blast myself these are heavy words for yeah. a sixth grader to say yeah that's deep man i remember that and then um you know um what, what else um you know of course like dre i think the first exposure to hip-hop i got was like in first or second grade i remember the tapes um we had a actually i remember one of the first songs was from a, it was a, it was a Mexican American group. Um, mm. It was N Two Deep, I think it was their name. Okay. N Two Deep. It was back to the hotel, old school Chicano from Vacaville. They're from Bay Area. You should Ooh, look, look okay. it up, man. Vacaville. Yeah. 
too deep and it was back to the hotel and it was a little like jazz loop that they had um the old school chronic album was big man yeah. that old school g-funk that was huge i remember everyone playing that i was a little baby was seven eight years old but i was hearing that like it's like this and like that and like this and i mean these are this is like the soundtrack of our lives right yeah, like right. this is real you know and i'm just listening listening to it. i'm like what are you listening to i'm a little kid you know i'm not really and i would say probably like in freshman year that's when i started to really get into hip-hop mm-hmm. eighth eighth grade freshman year hip-hop was big and then freshman year, I think what really made an influence on me is my favorite is controversial as a Bay Area kid. Very controversial for me to say this, <laughs> but it was Nas. I think oh, Nas yeah. took it for me. Nas mm-hmm. took it for me. And I was like, yo, I got sucked into that whole Jay-Z Nas battle. You know, <laughs> that was that was in the ninth, 10th grade. Mm-hmm. I mean, bigger than music back then. That was, it, it was a moment in, in culture, a moment in hip hop. Mm-hmm. Um, and for me, I think it was Nas because of who he was a different rapper because of his lyrical complexity. Right. So like, you know, okay, I, I like all that West Coast thing. I like, that's cool. I like it. I can listen to it. Mm-hmm. But Nas was on level, let's be honest. Yeah. Okay. And Pac was a poet. There's no question. Like, I'm not taking away from Pac's contributions, you know, at all. Or I'm not talking taking away from his music. But Nas was just a different, Yeah. you know, even says it the game says that what now is it's like um i was the only compton with the new york state of mind um you know he says something about um uh for my homies it was too complex when i was when i was i was the only compton dude with the new york state of mind but he yeah. says it and it's yeah. true because that's how i felt back then too i'm like you guys ain't listening to nas because it's too complex yes like, i yeah. loved it man i love and the things he would drop man like new york state of mind uh, it was a great, great song. Again, exposed to my brother. Um, and then it was written, like, um, was a great album and you know, ruled the world. And, like, the little lines he would drop, you know, history's told foul, but I'm as wise as the old owl. Yeah. The man. I mean, he knew, he was telling you, he's like, you know, we know the school system is not there for us, but right. I'm as wise as the old, I'm a hustler, you know, getting out of that. Mm-hmm. And then uh, Stillmatic was just, so for me, it's like there's no debate. Like if if, if anyone ever thought Jay Z, you know, got like Nas took it. There's a word for it. It's called ether. He ethered yeah. him. We stay. Yeah. We still say that today. It's done. Yeah. It's over. And um, you know, uh, like certain song, one mic. Come on, yeah. man. One mic. You know, I mean, that is just all it is. One mic. You know, like that. That's just. It's on too many levels. You can words can't do it justice. <laughs> um, you're the man, you're the man, um, which is a crazy flip on the sample. Um, but you're the man where he says, um, uh, "The chair became a keen stone. My destiny found me. It was clear why the struggle so painful. Metamorphosis. This is what I changed to. Mm-hmm. But God, I'm so thankful. I mean, come on, man. Yeah. I mean, I could sit here and just go through it. And the thing is, like, we know now that it was more than music because like the like Harvard University actually has a Nasir Jones fellowship. Yeah. And so like they know like that's the thing. Like it's more than music, man. This is this is history. So like my dad had his poets growing up, you know, mm-hmm. his poets talking about the things in Mexico, this and that. For me, Nas was he was our poet. He's right. he's the poet that 
that that talked about these realities that talked about one mic and, and the struggle and schools you know really not doing his justice and then the growth that Nas has shown like mm-hmm. with his album King's Disease is just amazing man I mean it's just like there's a song on there called 10 points when he talks yes. about like gotta let go of your, about he's like he's like, like yeah. dude like it's deep man because he talks about growth and he's like you know I don't trust people for uh, I don't trust people because of something that happened to me as a kid mm-hmm. but as an you know older person you gotta let it go you know or king gotta let it go you know, yeah exact lyrics but it's to that point right and um you know for me that's that's what it's about yeah he, he's a true poet mm-hmm. um for me you know that's why Nas like because I, I saw him evolve. perhaps Pac would have had the same effect if he was still alive right you know, true. Maybe, Never know. I'm sure he would have evolved into that but he would have grown yeah he would have grown but Nas man I mean he's deep man I that's why like uh, it's always going to be there for me. Like, it's always going to be Nas and, you know, and the, the old Pac stuff, you know, Hail yeah. Mary, all these songs, you know, you know, like the energy's there, you know? Yeah. Um, so, so definitely, man, I, I think that, you know, music, music is a huge part of our upbringing. And, um, you know, the thing is too, Noah, like, you know, what really bothered me growing up and I didn't write words to express was, you know, when you would play hip hop around, like, let's say I'm in medical school and, and I'm in the operating room, you play hip hop, a lot of older, I mean, this, this is a microaggression. You have right. like an old, older person, oh, that's not music. That's, and that's like, yeah. what do you know? Right. That's our music. What do you know? Right. No, that, no, 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 no. Get out of here, man. You know, <laughs> you know I want to play my, you know, I want to play this like, no, you know, I don't want to listen to the, I, I do not identify with whatever you're playing. I want to play my music. Right. And now, now I would say that, Mm-hmm. And so like, I remember a big moment for me as a doctor was I was at Sinai. So I did my residency at Cedar sinai This is a, in LA. Mm-hmm. And I remember being in an operating room and there was two surgeons. Uh, they're they're um, two black surgeons. Amazing, man. Amazing. And they're just playing hip hop in the OR. Okay. And I love that. Cause I'm like, this, this is, you know, they're, they're living their life to their own beat literally. Yeah. And it made me feel like, okay. This mm-hmm. is the, yes, you know, mm-hmm. yes, you don't, they don't have to conform to anyone else's rules. Like they right. want to listen to, to Tupac. They want to two chains. Yes. And there's, and that's okay. Yeah. That's okay. It's, that's music. Right. You know, it's music. And so right. that's why I feel like I feel an, an immense source of pride when it, when it comes to uh, hip hop, because, you know, we grew up with that mm-hmm. and um, you know, it's crazy how a rapper from Queens, New York had, such yeah. a profound effect on a kid from the Bay Area from from Northern Cali. Mm-hmm. <laughs> is it, but isn't that crazy? Like, that's the beautiful thing of music, right? Because I'm a big Nas fan as well. And Illmatic mm-hmm. was uh, released the same year I was born, 1994. So, like, I, I feel like that's just... When you describe hip-hop to people like us, it's the soundtrack to our lives, you know? And maybe cool. that's why there was a disconnect from, you know, that older doctor. Or even my mom, she always, like... Especially when I'd have parties, you know, my birthday, and I would want to play my music on, you know, the speaker system at our house and she would always be like no but none of that hip-hop shit and i'm just like you mean like how are you gonna you know tell me how are you gonna you know suppress like how i want to express myself and i remember one song specifically she never liked it um juicy by biggie right oh, i just song, i love the way he talked about like you know he would he came from nothing until now he's on you know interviews with robert leach and talking about mm-hmm. you know playing his second mm-hmm. genesis and all that kind of stuff oh, you know man. super nintendo sega genesis <laughs> yeah that was dead broke man i couldn't yeah no no it's classic man yeah yeah and I, I just remember, I, I'm glad as I got older, 
I, I just dove deeper into it, right? I didn't listen to my mm -hmm. mother or just any outside experiences about saying, oh, you know, hip hop is this or hip hop is that. Mm -hmm. and, and it's, you know, while I have may have never done some of those things that they talk about in their songs, you know, I know people who did. I had family members who did mm -hmm. and, and gone through that same struggle. Mm -hmm. So I feel like mm -hmm. that music relates mm -hmm. more to me and my culture and my whole life experience compared mm -hmm. to some other stuff, you know, that, that uh, oh, you know, dude. people listen to. No, no question, man. Listen to some of Pac's lyrics, like mm -hmm. it, like the song "Against All Odds." Yeah, man. I mean, you. I mean, I'm living through some of that today. You know, <clears throat> these are deep lyrics, man. I mean, he, he he he's vocalizing, you know, his struggle in the system. You know, I mean, it's very profound. I yeah, mean, very profound, man. Um, you know, it's it, it, it's something that. You know, there's a reason why we, you know, this is being taught at, you know, university courses, you know, right. because it really is poetry. It's, it's poetry at the time. And, you know, you know, it's disenfranchised community. Give us a voice, you know? Mm -hmm. um, I mean, that's just the reality, man. You know, like, you know, Nas is crazy, right? So he made Elmatic when he was, was 17, 18. Yeah. And yes. You know, he probably didn't think he was going to be alive, but I'm sure past the age of 2021, 20, he said it on interviews. And mm -hmm. so he's just, he's not rapping to become famous. He's rapping just to rap. And so yeah. it's very storytell. Yeah, storytell. So like, you know, Nas, Wu-Tang. So I don't know why, but maybe it was my brother's influence, but I really like the East Coast, the deep East Coast rap. Mm -hmm. um, and I think it was because it was different. It, was, it sounded different. You know, it sounded like just everything, you know, the RZA's beats, everything was just yeah. different. It was just different. And, and that G-Funk was cool, but it was all around me. And mm -hmm. so I felt like it was to have that East Coast because no one was listening to it or, or, or very few people were listening to it, Yeah, um, you know, around the Bay Area, um, even though people knew what's up. I mean, people knew like, you know, it was a, you know, I'll tell you a crazy story. Okay, go ahead. All right. So I'm on a plane. This is at medical school. It's about let's see um it's like my second or third year of medical school and um or was it a residency no no no. i was in residency so i was i was already in cedar sinai and i'm flying from la to oakland to visit my family mm -hmm. so it's next to oakland flight and um you know the plane you know there's like tons of these flights there's a lot of these flights every day right and the plane's not that full and i noticed in the back i see e40 <laughs> no way <laughs> take this out this is crazy yeah. <laughs> so i see e40 right and he has his two you know cholos man you know, yeah neighbor these uh, bodyguards you know yeah these are straight up you know you know what's up you know where he's from he's from you know, Valle yeah. uh, vallejo so you know these guys are like his local homies and I'm like, hey, man, do you mind if I, I, I respectfully, you know, I, I, I know, you know, I was like, hey, do you mind if I ask uh, E40 questions? And, he, and they were like, they looked at E40 and E40 looked, he was like, yeah, it's cool. Hey, you know, I'm not there to cause trouble, man. You know, I have yeah. my backpack on, you know, you know, I'm just there to ask questions. And so I, right next to him, but like, it was like, he was in his own aisle by himself. Uh -huh. And I was on the other side and I'm like, hey, man, I'm just, I, I have a few questions, you know. And he's like, yeah, you know, what's up? And he had, this, mm -hmm. he had the, the rhino chain. Oh. And I think it was sick with it. Mm -hmm. um, but, you know, he had the rhino, you know, iced out chain. Mm -hmm. And uh, I was like, hey, man, I was like, first of all, you know, like, you're really appreciate your music. Because I knew, like, you know, for me, like, even though, like, 
E40 was my favorite rapper. Like his contributions to the Bay Area hip hop oh, scene yeah. was huge, you know. Mm -hmm. And his his you know his his, his lingo, his, yeah, his lingo. <laughs> he had a profound effect, you know, mm -hmm. on, on the on the game and uh, and hip hop in general. And there was a story that intrigued me. It was it was it was a historical that intrigued me. So I asked him. I'm like, hey, is it? I'll say, is it true that uh, you and Biggie had beef? And he looks mm. at me because I'm, I'm a deep hip hop head, you know. Yeah, he's my brother. And so he he looks at me. He's like yo that was real oh shit he's like yo that was real he goes it was there was some bad blood there man and oh, i'm like man. i'm like and i was you know he, he didn't go with the details so like really he goes yeah he goes but you know we squashed it before he died uh -huh. you know rest in peace biggie he goes that's real damn and then i was like man i'm like that's crazy and then i was like and i asked him i'm like you're such a unique you, you have such a unique way of rapping like for me, like an equivalent East Coast rapper is Ghostface Killer. Yeah. So I really like Ghostface with his wordplay and everything. I was like, why didn't you ever? I was like, why don't you link up with him? Mm -hmm. And I remember me, he's like, that would be hot. He goes, that will be good. He goes, dude, that, you know, I like Ghostface. I like Ghost. <laughs> I don't know. I haven't really followed his career too closely. Mm -hmm. E40s. I don't know if he ever did a song with Ghostface. But uh, if he ever did, I want to take a little bit of credit for that. <laughs> happened yeah. after 2010. I think it was 2010 when I uh, mm -hmm. when I when I met him. But that was a great for me, man, because like it took there was there was a story that him and Biggie had beef back in mm -hmm. the day, and I didn't know if it was true or not. It was just it was mysterious to me. And then for E40 to confirm that, you know, on the plane from LA to. Uh, to to oakland yeah and, and that was profound for me you know as a hip-hop head i'm like dude this is crazy like, yeah straight he said it you know he, he didn't give any details but he says yeah it was real mm -hmm. and i'm like dude that's crazy yeah it's crazy because i think biggie did disrespect him on an article or something like that there was mm -hmm. some disrespect there you know um and but they squashed it you know and stuff but he yeah he confirmed yeah. it man that's crazy it it's just different times back then too i feel like 90s it, it was a lot more push to have beef and whether it was you know Pac and biggie or Nas and jay-z like they're just you know it, it seemed like people crave the conflict and more than they do now right and well it was uh, regionalized right yeah that too and, of course yeah and, and mass market so these these guys weren't out there i felt right they, they weren't out there to just make careers they were out there to survive yeah and so for them it's like you're calling out my hood like you know like <laughs> of the whole Nas Jay-Z thing because it was like Queens uh you know Brooklyn mm -hmm. and it's like wow mm -hmm. you know even though I'm in California it's <laughs> like if it's like if uh say in Oakland went at it or whatever yeah. you know even though it's like different you know what I mean it's like wow like that would be profound and if you're from Oakland you don't you definitely think that your neighborhood's better than San Jose's you know and yeah whatever San Francisco and you know and it's crazy because we never had anything like that i was thinking about it we never had anything like that in california we never had i don't remember that like anything mm -hmm. crazy between oakland and jose or oakland and san francisco <clears throat> but imagine queens brooklyn just going at it and, and that's intense man i mean that yeah. was like the height of the beef you know we were all like huddled in <laughs> you had to hear the response you know when ether came out it was done yeah <laughs> <laughs> it was done but no, I love that stuff, man. I mean, you know, the, you watch the show, um, uh, Dream Champs. Mm -mm. No, which, oh, what, uh, out, what network is that on? So, so Dream Champs, uh, Drink Champs. It's not. It's a podcast. It's like an okay. audio visual that uh, Nori, no, uh, Nori does a. 
so he so he he sits down with like all these rappers from the 90s like fat joe oh okay you know, um nas you know wu-tang you know the members of wu-tang and he talks about these stories and he goes mm-hmm. back and he talks about them and i'm always like imagining like i want to hear the stories like the little nitty-gritties i that's what i want to listen to the little nitty-gritties of of the nas and and jay-z beef you know what prompted yeah. that you know that's that's the history I, you know the the, the secrets you know whatever you know like that's the stuff that i that interests us right because we're we're that's our we're, we're hip-hop heads like. yeah yeah and I, I like that um there's a show on netflix that um they did was uh hip-hop evolution mm. i think kind of similar to what that podcast you're telling me about is just it, it goes region by region and kind of talks about like the early shakers and then who kind of burst onto the scene who kind of changed the scene but it it goes from everybody from like timbaland all the way dating back to like you know, uh, Grandmaster Flash and some of the, the influences to that. And I thought that was really cool, too, because it goes, like I said, region by region, city by city. You know, talk about the the people who helped like Lil Wayne come up or the people. And a lot of times they didn't get the like major stars to interview, but they always had like the major star. Like they had Lil Wayne's. Who was the guy that brought him up? Um, is it? Was it Juvie? No, it was the uh, the guy from New Orleans. Manny Fresh, right? Manny, um, Manny Fresh is a producer. Yeah. Yeah, he, Manny he, Fresh is a producer. Yeah. yeah, yeah, he has some really good beats, man. He has oh, some he really did. Good yeah. Beats. yeah, 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 yeah. But it was cool, like you know, like so while they didn't, weren't able to get Lil Wayne for the documentary, like they got Manny Fresh and like a bunch of people who were close to Wayne. It's like, yeah, you know, so you're getting that close experience, and I felt like they did a good job of like kind of touching. I, I don't yeah. think they got like past 2015 on the spectrum of things, but like still, like I would be interested to see if they continue that because you know, like for sure, like hip hop is his own. Like, man, it's it's booming now, but like it's still relatively new compared to these other music genres and it's yeah you know it's just it's just taken off i think further than what a lot of people especially the founders of hip-hop would have ever thought and imagined well i mean nas is like you know these guys could just they they could just make a living talking about their things like people would just pay the money just to listen to them like he he doesn't have to rap you know the (laughs) you just sit down and just interview nas like dude people were like he he would fill auditoriums you know what i mean like much intrigue as you know mm-hmm. like that you're right man it, it, it's it's profound and even like the smaller um like i remember going to la when i was in la and seeing uh jizza so the jizza from uh from wu-tang and he yeah. you know he had, he had packed a pretty good crowd in um you know at the nokia center um but yeah i mean you're absolutely right man like it's it's i think because it's deeper right it's deep music for us it just means it's something else and, and the it's authentic you know it's authentic and you know it's um the, the lyrics just mean something mm-hmm. you know um right man it's uh it, it's special yeah if you had to give uh, i know it's kind of like spur of the moment but if you had to give like top three albums like that you've ever listened to hip-hop wise what would you what would you go top three all right shout, shout out to my brother because he again he introduced me to this whole Mm-hmm. Uh, um you know th- this era of hip-hop so top three um illmatic has to be number one yeah okay it has to be number one and, and you know what's crazy about illmatic is that it grew on me over time mm-hmm. you know like when i first listened to it i was like sounds funky, it's cool i like lyrics but with time i understood i'm like whoa mm-hmm. I'm in, like new york state of mind the genesis new york state of mind like mm-hmm. these are deep and, and, and just wow you know mm-hmm. um so I think that um, that album has grown with me. I think that's why it's my favorite because mm-hmm. it's grown with me. Like, yeah, I think it means more to me now that I'm an adult, you know, a little older than when I was a 
19 year old kid yeah um second one i would say it's tough man i really like you know what man i really think a solid album start to finish is uh jay-z's blueprint the first one mm, okay. i really think it's solid man because um it was different than nas right but yeah but it, but it was but it was still like so unique and and you knew he, you felt like he was up to something big mm-hmm. like it was right before he really became like if you remember i think for me what what did it with that album was um if you remember it was what song was it um i never change i never change i'm still a hustler uh, outside of the same clothes um so the song i think is called I never change and um that's a Kanye West produced track. Yeah. So Kanye's career start really started around uh, that era, you know, that album. And so like, you know, that I think Kanye's on the hook. So to me, like, that's what I mean so much. That's like the beginning of something. Yeah. You know that it's like raw, man. Um, I never cared too much for the takeover of the song because I, I thought, I thought it was good, but I, you know, obviously I think Ether took it, but like, H to the Izzo was huge, you know, mm-hmm. in the H to the Izzo, he talks about becoming like an entrepreneur, like really growing up as a business person. Hola, mm-hmm. Ovito, um, that dude. <laughs> I mean, taking the whole Latin spin on things, you know, I'm talking about Perico, like all these, I mean, dude, come on, man. I mean, he's just that, I never heard a rapper do that. Um, so, I mean, that album is definitely like there. And I would say the third one, it has to be a Wu Tang album, man, and mm. I, and I think probably the Wu Tang one is gonna be it's gonna be a hard time, man. But it's gonna be, it's gonna be Liquid Swords, man. Oh, okay. Just, uh, I was gonna give it to Cuban Links, but then it, again, this is more my brother uh, is my brother's influence, um, especially with this one. But I think the reason why is because it was just so lyrically unique. Like, I think the the art the art of the you know the whole samurai thing, bro. That was yeah. crazy. Yeah. But that was cool, man. Like, you know how we talk about, like, it wasn't cool to be into science. Mm-hmm. And, and it was cool. But, like, I felt like the jism made it cool to talk about science. Like, picture blood baths and elevator shafts. Like, like these murderous rhymes typed from a uh, from genuine craft. Yeah. Like, that's the beginning of the duel of the Iron Mike. Or um, or, je- or uh, Ghostface on, um, what was it? I think it's called the Fourth Chamber. Um, with a crazy beat. Man, if you could loop in that to this podcast would be crazy the four, <laughs> the four chamber yeah. if you could loop oh man that intro it's dude they were on something else man mm-hmm. like they weren't they there's no frame of reference in my opinion to that album that i've heard anywhere else like they, he was yeah. so ahead of his time and kanye even talks about it he's like he talks about the rizza like how he he mixed up samples and he, he was ahead of his time but yeah like ghost has a line like why is the sky blue why is water wet why did Judas rat to the Romans while Jesus slept? I'm like, Ooh. Ooh. oh, like, yeah. you're done. Yeah. He went, he went, he went, cool. <laughs> yeah. Like, like, who, like, who does that? Yeah. Like, crazy, right? Mm-hmm. <laughs> Henny, he's talking about Henny the Eighth, and what else does he say? Like, talking about, what does he say? Uh, built like Genghis Khan mm-hmm. with the Rex Way while he's on. I judge wisely, and then, and then I think it's uh, what's the name of uh, the one? Ooh, Killer Priest. I think it's Killer Priest, right? He's like, I judge wisely, as if nothing ever surprised me. I mean, uh, 
it's just crazy, man. Yeah. It's just crazy. You know, like, like the, the, the fact that they were just so unique and so, you know, and then it's a hard tie. Cause I think Cuban links, you know, only built for Cuban links was, was there for Raekwon. And then um, mm-hmm. like um, the Nas verse. Right. And, and I think that's why, like, I, I want to mention the Nas verse on verbal intercourse. So, mm-hmm. you know, verbal intercourse that, you know, the song on only built for Cuban links, but he's like, um, the whole intro is just wicked to that song, man. Yeah. It's just deep. It's just, you feel like you're just in another world, you know, mm-hmm. um, uh, lights, cameras, and gold, uh, we're in gold. I stand in a piece. My in a piece of rise like yeast. The leaper, these leaving savages to roam in the streets, live on the run. Mm-hmm. Trick my wisdom with the system that imprison my son. I mean, I hold the gold leaf. I hold the gold leaf nonchalantly as branchy, but things I do in life is real. They never haunt me. I mean, <laughs> crazy. I, I mean, come on, man. Like, Nas, like, just, now I'm doing a disservice. I, I knew that one by memory. Just, uh, <laughs> lights, cameras, and gold. Lights, cameras, and something, glamour, glitter, and gold. I unfold the, st- I unfold the scroll. See the stampedes. Oh, I can't remember, man. But like yeah. that, oh, my God, man. <laughs> Mm-hmm. Yeah, but maybe we should just play that play that verse because that's <laughs> yeah. considered one of the best verses of all time. Mm-hmm. Um, but yeah, man, and like just the stories, you know, like and, you know, there's other like New York rappers that I like, like Fat Joe. I really thought, you know, his whole contribution with the Boricua scene and you know the whole thing, and that that's because even though I'm Mexican, you know, up in in California, like I knew like Terror Squad, Big Pun, mm-hmm. right? Like that song, that song, um, uh. Uh, what's the song that Fat Joe and, and did? Uh, deep cover. Yeah. Oh yeah. Deep deep cover. You know, twins. Um, I mean, that verse. You know, from uh, from Big Pun is just it's crazy. Yeah. And, and that's the thing. You know, like it's deep. You know. And then of course, you know, got Pac and all his albums. And, and by no means am I, you know, as a California kid, I'm, like, <laughs> you know, I'm placing Pac second to to no one, but. But I'm just saying, like, for me, I mean, these are just the albums, you know, because I listen to Pac almost every day, too. Yeah. You know, and, and, and you know, his songs and stuff like that mm-hmm. and his album. I, for me, it was just the East Coast had a unique grab on my uh, psyche. Yeah. And it's good to have a variety on that. I can kind of relate, too, because, like, I really, as a kid, I didn't know a whole lot about them, but A Tribe Called Quest, I feel like, as an mm-hmm. adult... I've really resonated with them more because they, they have like, I've noticed I'm more of like a mellow person and they have like that mellow like beats while they're kind of like, you know what I mean? So, like you the, know, you, so you could rap electric relaxation. Oh, I, I couldn't rap it, but I could try my best, I guess. But it was, they were just so smooth with smooth. it, like Bonita Apple Bomb and like, mm-hmm. and, and mm-hmm. They, I don't know, like, mm-hmm. man, some of the stuff that they have and even like, but then I was also too, like, I, I really like KRS-One and some of the songs that he would have and how he was like a little bit more, Military. But you know what song is really good from KS is the his diss track to because uh, you know he's Brooklyn, right? Yeah. So so when when he was going at was it MC Shan. I mean, this is before my time, you know. Yeah, this is before Shan. my time too. Yeah. Uh, but he's like, oh my, the, the, those diss songs, man. <laughs> and then that song that they put, um, the song that they use in the Last Dance and the Jordan. Yeah. His song. Um, step into mm. the world yeah. da, da. 
dude, like that's what I liked about the Last Dance is that they did it justice because they they make the era's music with mm-hmm. the with the Jordan movement. Mm-hmm. So like that, they had that episode. Like for me, one of that favorite, my favorite episodes was the one with um, where it was like uh, with Kobe, mm, right? Showing Kobe, and if you remember, like one of the scenes they played Nas's "If I Rule the World." Yeah, I believe it was on the same one. You know, "If I Rule the World," because I mean, dude, that was it, man. So yeah, seven, right, ninety six, ninety seven, and it's the whole. That's that that was it back then. So it's like, I mean, just imagine how you know it's a golden era. I mean, it's like. Yeah, I'm going to watch Jordan in the finals mm-hmm. TV and I'm going to listen to this Nas album. Yeah. Now, I mean, that's special. <laughs> what a time to be alive, huh? <laughs> that's special, man. And you're just, and you knew it too, right? So, you know, when you're watching Jordan, you knew it back then. You're like, this kid's special. Like, this dude's special. Right. Like, it's special. Like, you just mm-hmm. knew it. You're like, wow. Mm-hmm. You know, like, you just knew it. You know, you're like, this Jordan's going to take it. Like, you just knew it. Yeah. You're like, nah, man. As, you know, I love Sean Kemp oakland this and that but you knew jordan was good <laughs> yeah yeah and and, and uh you, you saw the passing of the torch to kobe right and then like oh, lebron man. obviously from i think lebron was one of the few from like you know a lot of times we overhype those high school like phenoms but like lebron actually like you know pulled through you know there was a lot of high school dudes that kind of oh, got washed or never jordan, had jordan look what i got oh there you go oh the shot over uh what is that craig elo of the jazz was it? I don't even know his name. I just know it's Jordan shooting the shot, man. <laughs> yeah. So you got, you got Jordan, and I got, I got my, my deployment. <laughs> there you go. <laughs> the, the last greatness. shot, man. Greatness surrounded by greatness. Great. <laughs> yeah, there you go. No, you're right, man. It's a, uh, it, it, it's, it's profound, you know. Like LeBron was Ohio right now. I'm in Cleveland, and yeah, LeBron, like, dude, you go around and you're like, wow, like mm-hmm. the, the love that people have for LeBron is just, it's major. Like mm-hmm. it's. And I, I appreciate that, you know, even though I'm a Golden State Warriors fan, it's a hard. Yeah. I mean, that's where I grew up, you know. Right. Like, hey, we, we were the laughing stock of the NBA forever, so whatever. Yeah. Every you franchise know? deserves their chance, you know. I, maybe I know. except. I for feel like... bad for the Clippers. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I mean, there's I feel friends. bad for the Clippers. <laughs> you know, but like the Warriors, man. I mean, come on, man. You know, yeah. we got a little run, and um, 2016 we go LeBron, even though, even though. Draymond didn't deserve to be suspended for that game, but whatever. Mm-hmm. But the respect that people have for um, LeBron is major, and, and I respect that. Yeah, I respect that man. We know what he what he does. I really like the more than an athlete. Yeah. Um, you know, movement. I think that's really good. I think mm-hmm. it's really positive, um, and I think that um, you know it, he's a he's a he's a really good role model for. Oh, hundred percent. I think he's. I, really, I respect that. Yeah, I think he's one of the more. He's probably one of the best, at least in my generation, he's probably one of the better off the court and all, and like the things that he does, whether it's starting his own school and just being so charitable. And mm-hmm. even those videos that he makes, like, and he posts on social media, like, I think some people think they're cheesy, but I, like a lot of people don't have father figures. So like, he's mm-hmm. kind of showing what it means to him to be a father. You know, he's one of those kids that just came from a really low socioeconomic community mm-hmm. and, and is trying to change the narrative. And, and that I respect like more than anything. You know, the business uh, aspect, mm-hmm. you know, the business aspect is key because he, you know, he took his friends and, you know, like you, you read the stories how they were trying to like discredit, you know, his, I forgot his name, his buddies, like, you know, uh, talent scouting, you know, yeah. they're trying to discredit him because like he didn't have an official license or whatever. I mean, to totally try to discriminate, you know, mm-hmm. like 
but he I really love the way that it's like uh, J. Cole said, just like LeBron, make more chips, you know, making chips for my friends or, you know, yeah. you know making money for our friends in that song. Uh, what is this song? Middle Child? Yeah, he says it, up. you know, he says that. And it's like, it's true. Like, he's such a good figure because it's like, that's that's what I aspire to. You know, like for me, like, I want to see a, a Latino succeed. You know, I want to see that because, you know, for me, like, that's the way we should see it. You know, yeah. like, for me, like, you know, our success is shared, you know, and it should be and, and, and so that's why I think I like LeBron and, and what he does off the court, as you said, even though I, well, I don't really care about his shoes. <laughs> <laughs> I, feel I don't like. really care about his shoes, man. I'm like, they're too heavy. Man. They're too heavy. I can't yeah. worry about work. Right. They're too heavy. I'm like, oh, it's too clunky. I'm like, oh, I can't. I can't. Yeah, they're, they're built for like the power forward center types, you know, like <laughs> yeah, the, yeah. the big kids in high school trying to play low post or something like that. I don't know. Man. I just, I just they're too heavy for me. But you know what's a good shoe is uh, the Kevin Durant. It's a really com- comfortable shoe. Very okay. underrated. I think it's very underrated. Very comfortable on the feet and, and just a solid shoe. Yeah. Have you ever tried the uh, Lillards? I'm a, I'm a really big fan of those. The Dame Lillards, man, is uh, what brand is that? What brand is that? Adidas. It's Adidas. No, you know, the only Adidas I ventured to recently were the, uh, what's that unique material that they made? The Boost? Yeah, the Boost. And okay. you know, I had a, but I felt like they just never, I never got into the Yeezys. Okay. I never got into that. Maybe it was too new school for me. For me, it's, um, the two shoes that I really got into that I still keep up with are Jordans and the Jordan, the retro Jordans. And then, um, uh, the Nike Air Maxes. Oh, and the, okay. I, I think like the new technology and like, oh, like the KDs, which I can technology. Mm-hmm. So a lot of the new technology shoes are really, really good, man. Mm-hmm. Like, like, you know, the Air Maxes, like they do a really good job of support and stuff like that. And then I get the Jordans for nostalgia. Yeah, of course. You know, I get the Jordans for nostalgia. Yo, if, if you if you if you hold on a second, I got something to show you. Okay, go for I got, it. Yeah. I got, so I have an NBA Connect. I got to show you. Okay, let's see I, it. Wait, all right, hold on. <laughs> so I got it. I got a. Let me check my. I just check my battery. Oh, I'm good. Okay, so. I can't give away the plug. Can you hear me? Okay. Yeah, I can hear you. I can't give away the plug, man, but. <laughs> You know, it's it's a uh, yeah. This is a, got lucky, man. So, shout out to the plug in Cleveland, Ohio. But all right, this is the box. Uh huh. Okay, Air Jordan, Jordan Eleven. Red. Ooh, okay. Okay. Oh, this this box looks man. So it is crazy, bro. It's like a work of art, man. This thing opens like. Oh little, yeah. Right? I take the shoes out, but I don't want anyone to think these are fake. <laughs> the original you know whatever man i saw all the videos you know the original crumpy paper yeah whatever you know all right Ooh, those are a thing of beauty yo wow unreleased yo wow unreleased exclusive so, dude, right I there i love huh? these bro that's why man mm-hmm. dude so um, I picked these up a, a few weeks ago, um, and it just I so these are uh, going to be like a so it's this is Jordan on the side mm-hmm. release December eleventh. Um, the metal you got the little metal, uh-huh. 
know, uh, Jumpman. You should do the, you should do the little, what is it called? Like the little tag on the video. This should be the tag on the video. It should be like, <laughs> my, yo, my Harvard, right here, bro. Yo, my uh, Harvard, Harvard. Dipl- Harvard diploma, the last shot and holding my shoe. <laughs> <laughs> yo, be like okay. this, bro. You should be like uh, this. Like, yo. Uh, this is life. Yeah. This is life right here, man. You know, this is, uh-huh. um, and then my, one of my other favorite shoes of all time, I had these in sixth grade, I had to pick them up again. Ooh, I love those. Yeah, I love the way they just said air. Right here, bro. Yeah. Very unique shoe. Mm-hmm. Very unique shoe. Very ahead of its time. Mm-hmm. Very comfortable. They do, they did, you know, fantastic shoes. Scotty Pippen. I love Pippen, man. Mm-hmm. His contributions. And it just, it's just, just a great, great um, era. And you know what's, what's, what's funny, man? And, you know, is it a coincidence or not? Maybe this should be the little tag right here. Is it a coincidence? Right? What year did this shoe come out? 94? No. Uh, 90. No. What, what year? This is 96. Okay. What year did this come out? 96, right? 96. Is that crazy? Yeah. 96, bro. It's a, you know, for me, it's like, I think that's probably like where we like the shoes because they, mm-hmm. they remind us of, you know, of growing up and, mm-hmm. You know, but you know, it's crazy, you know, I wear these in the hospital and it's almost like a, like a language of, of minorities, you know, mm-hmm. it's beautiful. Like, yo, like I can have a conversation about shoes, like the janitor, bro, or yeah. like, or another doctor who's wearing shoes. And it's just almost like a, this unspoken, like just relationship that we all have. We're like, no, 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 we get in debates. No, you know, the Jordan 10s, I'll never wear the Jordan 10s, the 11s, you know, the and so we just go in and in and in and, and, right. and that's the that's the beauty of of of, of sneaker culture, right? It's mm-hmm. it's um it's so unique and it's authentic. Mm-hmm. And you know you could just talk about it forever, man. But anyway, I just wanted to show you that. So <laughs> yeah, no, that's cool. Thank thank you for showing that. Mm-hmm. Now going back to the medical side of things, Good. obviously it's hard to talk about not it's hard to talk about this year without mentioning COVID and everything. But yeah. I wanted to yeah. ask you too. Yeah. Mm-hmm. because it's labeled COVID-19 because it actually first started in 2019 mm-hmm. in China. Mm-hmm. But when did you first hear about it at your work and realize that it could be a problem? It's a deep question. <laughs> it's a deep question. Mm-hmm. So the thing with, um, so first of all, I want to say I'm lucky that I had a really fantastic education mm-hmm. and uh, the people that trained me, you know, at places like, you know, Harvard and stuff, they, they taught me how to, critically and they and they and i think that's the value of of, of your education is you learn how to think independently and, and critically you know mm-hmm. i don't want others to synthesize information for me i need to synthesize information and so it was 2019 december and then you started to hear about this uh this pneumonia from wuhan and i think the first you know some of my friends that were actually other latino doctors that mm-hmm. are at this hospital, they were starting to post stuff on Facebook, like, oh, this is pneumonia coming from Wuhan. You know, mm. I'm like, well, okay, I started to start picking up a little, a little bit. And then you start to hear about these, they started to put up these, um, they started to build this hospital overnight. And I remember that in, in Wuhan. And this was like, anyway. And then um, I think it was Hong Kong, because Hong Kong is like this own territory. I think Hong Kong right. was was um basically like scanning everyone coming in from mainland china for like um or taiwan i can't remember man they have to reread that but they were scanning everyone for a fever this is real man like you know they're out there scanning people for fevers this and that 
And so that was like January, February. And then in March, in March, uh, you had this very influential doctor. His name is Dr. Atul Gawande. Mm -hmm. So Atul Gawande is a surgeon at, at Harvard, actually. Yeah. <laughs> and he's a, he's a brilliant writer, thinker. And he's actually on the Biden-Harris COVID response mm. team. He, he, he's, he's up there, man. I mean, this dude is like, respect to him. He could be the next Surgeon General. This guy's a very, 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 very smart guy. Mm -hmm. He's like a thinker, you know? He writes these fantastic articles and he could see things. Yeah. And he put it together. He, he was reading some papers and he's like, you know what? Like probably spreads by asymptomatic transmission. Like meaning like, you know, you could be present, you could have the virus and you may not be sick if you're right. young. And be because there's some data from South Korea at the time that showed um, that young people were testing positive, but weren't showing symptoms, which mm -hmm. brings up the question, if you're an asymptomatic carrier, right? That's the only, that's one of the that you draw from that and so mm -hmm. that's scary right because that means you could be walking around carrying it and you don't even know right and those older people getting sick or presumably or the majority of older people and you know he he it was a bit i mean this was like it made the waves and this is like an early march and um this is the power of medicine his hospital Brigham and women's where i did my training mm -hmm. it's it's so like it's one of the harvard teaching hospitals they were like they listened to his article man and like a week later, like everyone's going to wear a mask, mm. everyone. So to my knowledge, they were the first ones to wear a mask, like universal mask wearing. And then, um, you know, it was, and it was like all over the news and, and I shared it on, on Twitter. And then I think it was UCSF was there also like a lot of academic institutions were, were leading the way. And so that's the thing about science, Noah, is that you have to be willing to let go of preconceived notions and think critically on your own. And I think Dr. Tugawande was able to do that quickly for the benefit of a greater, of a greater society. Mm -hmm. And he was like, okay, no, 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 this probably has an asymptomatic spread. He did this, boom. And they instituted universal mass wearing policy. Mm -hmm. And his article was about how healthcare workers in Asia weren't getting sick and they weren't getting sick because they were wearing full, you know, um, you know, they were protecting themselves with like mask or stuff. So I think it was like early March that was really, you know, you started to see the the evidence in the literature and the evidence from Atul Gawande. Mm -hmm. And um, you know, I was like, man, I think, you know, we should all be, be wearing a mask. And then we had a, you know, we, you know, Ohio was ahead of the curve with, with closing things down. And right now we're in a second surge, but, um, or third, but, you know, I think that those articles are going to go down in history. Like, yeah. you know, you should look it up. It's Dr. Atul Gawande. It was March, okay. February or March of mm -hmm. 20. Uh, 20 of you know you know early this year and it was like how how hong kong keeps the u.s or, or how hong kong keeps their workers from getting sick mm -hmm. um but it was really really important um and you know a lot of high level thinking you know that he did and now you know history absolved him right so history proved him right because now he's on the biden heritage team yeah. And guess what? It's all the, you know, the people who are saying this and it's like beautiful mm -hmm. because these are the people that you want to charge. Right. You know, I want the people, that's the thing about science is sometimes in science, you say something that's truth based on, you know, what's our observable facts or whatnot. Mm -hmm. Sometimes it's so radical that people ridicule you for it. Mm 
Right, right. It, that's and how it it's like is. anything in life, right? It's like anything in life. You know, I'm sure when these shoes came out, you know, back in 96 or whatever, or the original ones, you know, I'm sure people ridiculed it. It was so radical, so new, but it's like anything in life. People don't yeah. want to accept things that are new. Right. You know, and history absolved him. Yeah. Like, look now, now he's like, no, he's going to be writing the rules yeah. for, the, you know, the tr- Harris administration. But it's, it, it shows you the power of academic institutions. Like, this is why Harvard has a name Harvard. It's not because of its, its filled people. It's because the people are willing to take a chance mm-hmm. and say something valuable, mm-hmm. you know, and something that's ahead of its time. And they're, they're not scared to say something based on evidence. And I think that's the power of academic institutions. You know, yeah. it's, it, it's why um, it's, it's where that um, authenticity comes from, you know, mm-hmm. and, and this isn't me saying this like this is history like look 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 at who the first you know authors were who were saying this like yeah. it's there it's in history it's in our history books you know um and then if you look at like the biden harris um the COVID response team they're mm-hmm. they're experts it's all like ivy league schools man but there's a, again and minorities too on there there's a lot of i think the yeah the associate chief of the COVID response team is uh She's a, a black doctor from Yale. I think she's the associate dean of diversity mm-hmm. um, from Yale. I mean, it's powerful, right? So, I mean, it's it's not the name of these places. It's the it's that the people are like mm. like like it's it means a lot that the COVID nineteen uh, response team from the Biden administration has people that are experts in in addressing systemic racism because mm-hmm. they understand. They're thinking ahead. Right. They're not waiting for public opinion. They're yeah. thinking, and that's how we should be in science. Mm-hmm. You know, I, I was just watching. I love this. I love science, and uh, you know, and like age, age shouldn't. We shouldn't discriminate with age with science. And so, like, I had my my nine year old, I was nine and seven, and we're watching Nova, a PBS documentaries, and we're learning about physics and the multiverse. Mm-hmm. And uh, dude, like my nine year old's like you know, the multiverse. Like, you know, how can universes and i'm you know we're talking about string theory and multiple dimensions Ooh, okay and it was deep man, and <laughs> the child's mind but bro this go back to the beginning of the conversation Noah. this is who we are yeah our ancestors are, are you know leaders man you know right. while europe was in the dark ages we were running the world with mm-hmm. our astronomy and our thinking right so why am i going to hold my child back from listening to this so we're listening to it crazy Dang. what's crazy is you know, we're listening to this right and all and i post something on twitter and do this like this influential physicist. I mean, I'm talking about like someone who's a leader in the field. He's, he follows me mm-hmm. and I'm like, yo, this is crazy. Like this dude is like, li- like one of the leaders of like string theory, you know? Oh, okay. Dang. And I reach out, I go, I reach out to him. He reaches out to me, you know, and I have confidentiality in my name, but like, I'm like, yo, my nine year old likes this. And he's like, dude, that's crazy. Share cell phone numbers, this and that. And I'm like, Oh, but that's the power. That's right. the power of, 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 of not waiting I don't care what what society says nine-year-olds should teach their kids. Yeah. I don't care. I don't care. Because because you know what? The system is set up for their, whatever set of rules that's that's set for the, the general public. I don't yeah. care. I'm going to teach my kid about, you know, we're going to watch documentaries on PBS. You know, my kids watch The Last Dance, you know? Yeah, yeah. You know, that's what I'm going to teach my kids about. You know, like today we're driving to the, um, we're driving around the city and, you know, running some errands and stuff. 
and you know we're listening to uh, Hans Zimmer. He's a he's a music producer. We're listening to the soundtrack of Gladiator, mm-hmm. and um, you know my kids are like, oh Gladiator. We're learning about the Roman Empire and Julius Caesar, why he was assassinated, and you know we're learning about like you know deep man, and it's like you know knowledge has no should not have any right. barriers and like that's what that's the hope that i have uh, yeah i was like when, when you know when, i don't know if you have kids but when you have like that's the power of the brain like mm-hmm. you know what i used to do with my kid and i hope other people you know take um you know are inspired by this like um i knew i had enough understanding of a brain that like there's a lot of neuroplasticity the neurons are growing very quickly in the first two three years of life so yeah. i would get my kid these puzzles and they were just like uh, map, like maps, you know, and, you know, African continent, the Asian mm-hmm. continent puzzles. And I was just like, I'm just going to see what happens. So my, I would have my two-year-old, she was two back then, man, you know, and she would just do, she knew all the countries, but Namibia, you know, Egypt, but that's the power of the brain. Like mm-hmm. it has no limits. You know, we're holding our kids back. Right. You know what I'm saying? We're holding yeah. our kids back. Like, like why can't a nine-year-old learn about, the, the theory of multi-dimensions. Yeah. And that's funny because I had an interesting experience very similar to that this previous week with the kids I work with. I work with third and fourth graders, um, like I said, as a teacher's aide. But this one kid, you know, he just really can't sit still. And I don't want to label him as a bad kid. That's, but like, That's because his brain was ahead. He's yeah, probably his, anxious. Like, he's probably like, I got to, you know, he's bored, bro. Right. He's super bored. Exactly. Yeah. And I remember like one day he finished his work and you know, he just wanted to get up and start talking to people. And was like, nah, like, Hey, like, sorry, you got to sit down. Like, especially, you know, he wanted to like talk to his friends and it's like, sorry with COVID, like we can't be doing this right now, you know? Mm-hmm. But then he like dropped this like knowledge bomb on me about like reptile. I, I don't know how the conversation came about. And I was like, Oh, you like, you like snakes, huh? And he's like, yeah, like I actually want to like grow up one day. And this is a fourth grader telling me all this. So I think it's the same age around as your daughter. Mm-hmm. And, he, and he's like, you know, yeah, I want to work like in a reptile house. And you know, like work with these kind of lizards and these kind of, and he just, he just started like name dropping all these like different species of reptiles. Mm-hmm. And I was like, mm-hmm. like literally like my perception mm-hmm. of him changed in like the matter of mm-hmm. seconds. And I was like, Whoa, like this mm-hmm. kid, you know, he's already, you know, he's only fourth grade, but like he can, and I, that's where I've, you know, cause I do work in the school system mm-hmm. and I've had conversations with coworkers about mm-hmm. how by middle school, we can kind of almost very similarly to college, we can mm-hmm. kind of like, you know, specializing certain kids right? Still get them that exposure mm-hmm. to all subjects. You know, we don't want to just limit them, but mm-hmm. usually by middle school, kids kind of have an idea of what they want to do. And, mm-hmm. you know, you introduce them to more classes, they're going to be more entertained by it. Right. And they're going to have a get greater interest in school, but also like a greater knowledge of how to get into that career path. Cause reptile being yeah. a reptilian mm-hmm. person or whatever he wants to be mm-hmm. in that field is not like a normal thing, you know, him mm-hmm. going to regular public high school is not going to benefit him. And I feel almost mm-hmm. kind of bad. You're talking about pipelining. So, yeah. uh, you know, a person you got to, you have to have this person on uh, your pod. And in fact, in fact, this is a contractual obligation. Okay. All right. Do <laughs> His name is Raimundo Hawkes. He's a okay. lawyer who grew up with this kid with, with, with Raimundo Hawkes. And he's, he's like a brother to me, man. Raimundo, you know, um, you know, I'm going to let his, him tell his story because it's very profound and very deep and very impactful. Mm-hmm. And Raimundo basically, you know, went through, went to the same high school, went through a lot of similar struggles and, um, you know, almost, you know, almost had his life taken, you know, some, some gang stuff, you know, I, I should say just some environmental stuff. Long story short, he became a lawyer. 
mm-hmm. and he, he has his youth pipeline program. Ooh, uh, it's called the Youth Law Academy. And what he does is very similar to what you're saying. He um, taps into the interests of, I believe it's middle school kids. And that's why I want him to talk on your show. Um, and he basically uh, harnesses that interest and like it's like a mentoring program. And mm-hmm. he takes them through like middle school, high school, and basically gets them prepared to apply to law school. Mm. And that's exactly what you're getting at, you know, and I envision like a youth medicine program. Yeah. Yeah. That's what we need. You know, we need a youth medicine program to really like get these kids on a pipeline. Mm-hmm. And, you know, the only, and the thing is, no, like the only people that people that live through it, people like us, man, because yeah. we live through it. We know that we know that the power of man, like, right. I can't, I can't go into another neighborhood that I wasn't raised in or, or, or has a different set of cultural because I just don't understand that. Right. Oh yeah. And I could try, I could try, you know, I have love for all humans. I could try, but it's different when it's from your own neighborhood, from your mm-hmm. own cultural sort of uh, reality, because then you see yourself in these kids, you see yourself in these patients, you see yourself in the students, whatever. Mm-hmm. It's powerful. Man. And so yeah. like Ray Hawkins works in Oakland, California. You okay. got this, this, and it's powerful, man, because I, you know, he inspires me. Mm-hmm. And, and and I see what he does, and it's like it, it's it's powerful. And it was crazy. Is back in the grade, I'm like in the fifth grade, I was like I knew Ray, and I'm like Ray, I'm like, how are you so smart, man? I want to be like. <laughs> I'm serious because Dang. you can see it. You could see it. He's just mm-hmm. like different level, bro. And this is nice. Like just you could just see it. Like you could feel it. Like this kid's just gonna be like a freaking astronaut one day. Yeah. And um, you can see it, you can feel it, and uh, and I'm like, oh, I was, Ray, how are you so smart? I wanted to be like him. He's my role model. And you know, we grew up together, and you know, uh, circumstances happened. And you know, like I said, he's going to tell his story because it's very powerful and impactful. Mm-hmm. And uh, you know, this is someone that you know his story needs to be told, man. And he needs to tell it, but um, it, it's crazy, you know, mm-hmm. it's crazy. So I think a pipeline program, you know, like that uh, works. But you're right, you got to tap into early, early. Mm-hmm. You have to do it early. That's well, my kids. What I do? Yeah. You know, we talk. We talk about Hans Zimmer, man. I, ta- I taught her today about the Praetorian Guard. You know, the Ooh. elite guard that protect the that protect the Romans. I yeah. The t- coup, you know, of, of uh, how Brutus took out his stepdad Julius Caesar, and she's mm-hmm. like, "What? Like, Dad, that's like that's like if someone that's like if someone killed the president." And I'm like, "Exactly." The concept yeah. of a coup. And it's a coup d'état, you know. And I'm like, it didn't go so well for the Romans. And she's like, "What?" You know, like all these things, bro. Like. Like this is the knowledge that mm-hmm. that we need to impart on our kids. Like, there's no limits. There shouldn't be limits. We right. we put our own limits. Like, oh, it's the third degree. We must not teach them about. I don't. Those <laughs> rules aren't for me. Right. They're all yeah. for us. Mm-hmm. You know, because you know, back in the day, I'm sure like the you know our ancestors were teaching little kids. You know, they're looking up at the stars. They were teaching kids about cosmology. Mm-hmm. You think they were like, no, you're too young to learn about that. No, hell no. They knew. They knew. They're like, this kid's interested in science. So this is going to, you know, he's going to be our astronomer. Boom. Mm -hmm. Pick him up. Let's do this, man. And so that, that's the beauty. It's like, it's almost like we're redefining our culture. Yeah. You know, that's the beauty of it. It's like, so I want my child to, you know, if you know what she told me today is profound. She's like, she's like, what if I can help? um what if i can help you know with the multiverse in physics mm. and i'm like that was just hit, it hit like <laughs> right here and i was like oh <laughs> you know what's 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 beautiful noah is that 
because we, you know, in education, you know, we have access to talent because think about it, like, uh, remind me where you went to school? Uh, Sacramento State. Okay, so you went to Sacramento State. I mean, you can walk down the hallway to the physics department and knock on the door of a, of a physics professor, mm-hmm. open the door and you'll be like, hey, I'm, a, I'm a, you know, you know, I'm Noah, this, you know, this is who I am. And I'm sure that, be, you know, that professor will listen to you. Mm-hmm. And we'll have the time and, you know, and that's the beauty is that we can do that mm-hmm. because we have access to, to higher education, right. we have access to, to resources. So like, I could take my child who is interested in the subject to like a physicist and be like, like that physicist who, who reached out be like, Hey, you know, let's talk. And then the, you know, the, the power of that on the little kid's mind is, is to me, that's found that, that, that goes beyond like, beyond anything like yeah. we can measure man it's crazy it's yeah. crazy yeah there I, I think we definitely underestimate kids and i've learned that working with kids we can't we can't underestimate them you know we gotta be real with them and i, I know like you know i only know so much about the things that i'm interested in but you know definitely when i was more part of the after school program and, and doing stuff like that you know i remember kids would ask me questions or i, I would uh, just teach them things outside of like the norm from what they were learning and you could tell like the kids would garner or gain a new level of respect for you. Like if you kept mm-hmm. it real with them or for lack of a better mm-hmm. word, you know, if you just mm-hmm. keep it real with them, the kids will, uh, cause I think a lot of times at work too, we like shy away or like, Oh, let's not talk about this or, Oh, let's not talk about that. Cause Oh, it's a work setting. And it's like, I get it for a lot of things, you know, but some things it's like, okay, then if you keep sheltering them from it, they're, they're not going to respect us. Cause then like, well, these adult staff won't even respect us to have a conversation with us, especially middle schoolers, you know, like, there, I know they still have a lot of maturing to do as far as mentally and physically, but they can have some pretty like intellectual conversations with you, no doubt. Like, don't underestimate these kids. Well, I mean, it's simple things, right? Um, I think it was Chris, Christopher Columbus or Hernan or uh, Cortez. I can't remember which one of uh, which which uh, settler. I don't even want to call him a settler, but you know which. Yeah, yeah. you know. But like, okay, if we're, if they're learning about that which by the way is really one-sided history right mm-hmm. right but if they're learning about that why can't they read their journals mm-hmm. let's read let's read what christopher columbus wrote about mm-hmm. you know raping women mm-hmm. like, was it was it columbus or, i think it was I can't yeah it was Col- i think it was columbus yeah, yeah. let's read it hey we're, you're like you're teaching them history so why can't they read unfiltered what they wrote let's mm-hmm. see what they did to their ancestors yeah that's power right that's power oh, i teach yeah. that right that's selective <laughs> history they don't want to teach that they don't want to yeah. teach you know how they were uh, raping women and, and it's crazy man mm-hmm. you know the murders and how they were pur- purposefully infecting people and you know just evil stuff man Very. colonialism evil man i mean just, just things you can't even imagine you know doing mm-hmm. to another human being but you know that that's the power of history mm-hmm. the power of history that when you teach it the right way it could change minds mm-hmm. you know like let, let's let's learn in medicine for example i didn't they, they didn't teach us the history of medicine medical school it sounds weird right yeah right like right, right? Th- doesn't it sound weird like like i didn't <laughs> learn the history of medicine like hello i learned it on my own right and check this out and this this is why so the first hospital in the united states was pennsylvania hospital mm-hmm the idea for that hospital didn't come from the U.S. It came mm-hmm. from a charitable hospital in Florida by one of my articles. Mm. So it was, it was, it was basically 
the concept of a hospital came from a charity envisioned building from the Catholic church. And it was a resistance against the French monarchy. Mm-hmm. In fact, so much so that the, the Kings wanted to do away with the hospital system because it was like, an, uh, it, it was basically like this radical, like all humans have, you should have access to some kind of healthcare. Right. It's a revolutionary act. And it was actually Benjamin Franklin's friends who went to, mm. they, they were all, dude, all the people who basically founded this country, founded, they borrowed their ideas from yeah. the Enlightenment. Right. It all came from, from Europe, you know, from, from France. Mm-hmm. So they saw this guy, his name was Thomas Bond. He was a medical student. And he's out there. You know, picture yourself, right? He's out there. He's, mm-hmm. And he's like looking at this hospital. And he's like, yo, what is this? This is crazy. And here's a this hospital system that's like a charity like this hospital i've never seen this before so he came back to the u.s it wasn't even the u.s that he came back to the colonies right and he told ben franklin ben franklin's his friend and franklin is like that's a good idea Dang. so franklin gets the money together and he gets the lobbies and they build the first hospital which becomes not the, the first medical school mm. So, so, so Noah, the first hospital in the United States was built to provide free care for poor. Oh, wow. And the whole idea, if you look at the journals, the whole idea, like they talk about it, they were like, we were bringing in Native Americans, we were bringing in people that had communicable diseases, diseases, right? And we were treating them. So the very first hospital in the U.S. provided free healthcare, and it was wow. uh, and, and that's power. That's yeah, power. Yeah. That's DNA, bro. So, so think about mm-hmm. this: the U.S. Constitution to high respect, right? Like we look at all the older Constitution and then mm-hmm. the right to bear arms, the Second Amendment, all this stuff. How about our first hospital? Mm. That's that's as deep as our Constitution. Why yeah. why aren't we oh, holding yeah. it to that? Like, right. You know what? Because they don't teach you that. They don't want you to know that. Yeah, you know, because that takes away from history. the capital. So, like yeah. the history that takes away from the capital, because now suddenly you're talking about democratization, you're talking mm-hmm. about sharing resources with, you know, and, and, and that's power, man. That's power because now all of a sudden, think about it. Now all of a sudden, you have responsibility to immigrant communities, the farmers in California. Hey, you know, Benjamin Franklin was funding the treatment of poor people yeah. in Pennsylvania. He, he didn't ask for citizenship. He didn't ask for this. Mm-hmm. So why are we going to ask the, True, the, right. the, the immigrants for their papers? Mm-hmm. It's everyone, right? Yeah. It's power. It's power. So I think like we have to do, um, and this is part of our, 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 our mission here, right? Mm-hmm. Is to spread this, you know, we got to talk about this. we got to talk about it. There's a link it, or this, on my medium account. There's a, it's a, uh, to the Benjamin Franklin article, it's in the bottom, but like, um, but there's a link to that, you know, um, and it's power. We need to learn about this, man. We need yeah. to learn about the power of history, mm-hmm. the power of history, man. This is, this, this is, this really can change a lot of uh, perspectives. You know what I mean? Yeah. Well then sticking with the the medical field, kind of as we wrap things up, Yeah. how do you see COVID-19 kind of affecting the medical field and hospitals and preparation for in the future down the road. I see it preparing. Well, I think that, uh, I mean, I think we don't know the total impact, but I mean, this is a once in a lifetime pandemic, right? Mm-hmm. So this is like the 19, early 19, you know, 
hundreds, uh, you know, Spanish influence, which even the term has its own, you know, it was actually from Kansas. Yeah, isn't that crazy? <laughs> it's great, right? History, right? We're talking about history, selective history. So let's call it the Kansas flu. <laughs> so um, this, is, this is a once in a, in a lifetime thing. So I think um, hopefully once the vaccine's out, the results of promising uh, things will go back to normal and and i think that what this pandemic has exposed is the um the burden of disease and and inability of access or lack of access to healthcare in our um, disenfranchised communities which are yeah. unfortunately black and latino right so i think that pandemic has showed us the inequalities once again the inequalities it sort of put everything on blast. They put everything on a on a projector screen because mm-hmm. we've known about this inequality in education, in business. Like how many Black and Latino people own stocks? Right. Do, I mean, for real, something simple like that. And it's like you know how many Black and Latino people are CEOs? Mm-hmm. I, I'm not. Look, I have no. I'm not saying one thing or another. These are facts. Mm-hmm. Like just you just look at the numbers. Yeah. How many Black and Latino people are? are Black and Latino people of departments. Yeah. I'm not, again, I'm not putting in any emotion. This is the truth. Right. We know this is a problem mm-hmm. because, um, because in the literature, it's just there. And so I think that the COVID has shown us the burden of these, uh, uh, what our people suffered through in our disenfranchised communities. Mm-hmm. Uh, the CDC reports, so specialty is like obstetric anesthesia. So, I, I um, follow very closely a lot of li- literature around the pregnancy and pregnancy-related diseases, mm-hmm. and the CDC data came out for COVID and pregnancy. Mm-hmm. And here's the wild part, man. I mean, the numbers are insane. Sixty-eight percent of the COVID and pregnancy infections were in Black and Latina uh, wow. patients. Wow. Sixty-eight percent. Mm-hmm absolutely you know i'm gonna move here because my um computer is uh oh but it's okay can you hear <laughs> no, me okay. yeah i can hear All you right. yeah i'm just gonna 68 man i mean what I mean what, what does that tell you well, what we were talking about earlier you know it's just 68 man there's just a, a, cr- a huge there's obstacles that we're born into and those communities and members of those communities are born okay. into black women are three times more likely to die in pregnancy compared to the white counterparts. That's crazy. Three times more likely. Mm-hmm. Spanish speaking women, Latina women are less likely to receive an epidural. Mm-hmm. This is real, man. Yeah. This That's- is real. They, they, you know, these are, these are numbers. And you know what? Don't take my word for it. You know, look at the COVID, like, again, look at the Biden-Harris COVID response team. Like, yeah. they're addressing this. They're saying this is a problem. Mm-hmm. So they're seeing it, and they're actually showing us a, an answer. So that's why I have faith, because, you know, you have people like Kamala Harris um, that are making the right choices. Like, mm-hmm. Joe Biden, like, they're putting the right people in charge. They're saying, no, we, you know, we have to put our experts in charge. We have to right. put our people that are that understand the burden of these diseases in our communities in charge and that's the beautiful part is there's a, there's hope for the future you know yeah. there's, there's hope for that and so it's there you know like we'll see what happens but like you know when we have a, a latino president hopefully a chicano president, like they're gonna shed light on the issues in our communities on the, what we're talking about yeah. education um you know health 
um, business, mm-hmm. you know, um, this is important stuff, man, you know, yeah. but that's how I think COVID, you know, cause the vaccine's going to come and things will get back to, to normal, hopefully, but these issues of inequality are still going to exist. Yeah, of course. Uh, right. Just like they exist in pregnancy, just like they exist in, in access to healthcare and stuff like that so mm-hmm. um but it's, it's a very good question man it's a very good question mm-hmm. so as we wrap things up what are some other goals that you have not only for the rest of this year but just to kind of kick it off next year too man, deep question goals man goals 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 number one first and foremost be a good dad you know mm-hmm. i need to be a good role model for my women for my um my women actually they are women my girls you know two two latina girls that are amazing for my wife um, I need, for me, I, I want my daughters to believe they, they can achieve anything as possible. You know, they want to be an astrophysicist to be it, let's do it. You know, they want to write music. I want to write music. You know, I think my goals now, like that's, that's my personal goal in my life. Be there for my family, for my dad, you know, my mom passed away, rest in peace, but like, you know, be there for my dad and my, my siblings. That's number one, mm-hmm. you know, be a good, a good husband. And then of course, career, you know, career coming second, I would even say health. You know, like I have a lot of, I've, bro, this is one thing, man, we, we got to talk about too with the, with our community is like yeah. staying healthy. Yeah. For me, like I, at 4 a.m., go to the gym. Nice. Uh, I just do it, bro. Before work, get it in. And that's really transformed. It, it, I believe I'm healthier. I'm sharper in my mind because of that. Mm-hmm. Uh, learning how to eat the right foods, learning yes. the power of, of eating, you know, plant-based uh, of, you know, a little bit of meat's okay, but like eating like fresh, you know, fruits, so, like health, I would say is number two, you know, personal health mental health mm-hmm. and then now going to career um i think the a goal for me is just um i think that that's a good question because i think the goal has changed in the last month i think this tweet that i put out really shed light on the power of sharing information like i've had a lot of people reach out for me from around the country I had the npr interview it's gonna come mm-hmm. out in a few weeks um and god knows what that's gonna bring you know like what's this npr gonna bring what's this interview gonna bring right what's what are these interactions gonna bring and and if, and if that's my purpose in life you know mm-hmm. finding purpose right so like i think if my purpose is to enlighten or, um you know minorities or people that don't have access to higher education if that's my purpose to to motivate people then so be it that's my purpose right and, and naturally you know uh, my heart's gonna feel that's if that's the right thing for me to do. Mm-hmm. Um, obviously I love medicine. I love the practice of it. I think it's great. It, it's, it's challenging. It's complex, everything, but I need to be drawn to where my purpose is. And yeah. if, and, and if I can help more people by talking about these issues, then I want to do that. Yeah. Then I, you know what I mean? So it's almost like our, <laughs> be flexible, you know, yeah, it's beauty. It's beauty. There's be, it's beauty in life, man. Yeah. It's beauty. It really is because like, and here's the crazy thing, man. It took a lot of courage for me to send that tweet. Mm-hmm. I didn't really yes, anyone, any one of my classmates at medical school or um, you know, actually just one of my classmates knew about this, mm-hmm. you know, what I went through. But like my my colleagues and whatever, my colleagues now work. I never talked about that. I yeah. never because because I didn't want to make it feel like I was like I yeah. want sympathy. Of course, right. I internalized. To I, I internalized it until finally I was like, you know, I think it just felt right. The timing was right. Man, should I do it? I'll send it. Mm-hmm. And so I just sent it. And um it's crazy, man. Yeah. It just blew up <laughs> and it and it led to a lot of 
really beautiful things like this. Yeah, just trying to inspire kids, man. I think mm -hmm. um, I think we really have a lot of unique things to contribute to um, to um, to the next generation, you know. And I really see a lot of hope in in that. So about like the Biden Harris transition team and like how how they're showing us a way for the future and um you know sort of like just writing our own rules if you will mm -hmm. you know let's write rules for our communities you know let's talk about the things that are important for us you know what I mean mm -hmm. and I think that's is something that I can relate to as well just because you know, sometimes it does get overwhelming. Uh, there's definitely days at work where, you know, I'm working in a pretty low socioeconomic area and, and I'm just, you know, I feel like it's almost a hopeless situation. Um, but then I remember there's, you know, there's other people in the community trying to push positivity or push a good message or trying to share that knowledge. And it's about kind of creating that network. And I think that's what's kind of inspired me to take this podcast a different level, uh, uh, you know, con connecting different people, getting different ideas because, you know, I think one person said it best, like not, you know, one person can't do everything, but everybody can do one, you know, one thing. And, you know, if everybody does one thing that can ultimately, you know, change generations of, you know, people from communities, communities like ours. And so I just think that's like a, it's a, it's a powerful thing once you kind of realize that and you meet other people. I think sometimes you get scared too, that like, oh, I might be the only one who thinks like this, but mm -hmm. the more I've put this kind of energy out into my life and with my circle mm -hmm. with my friends i've been constantly connected with new people who think similarly and i just think that's like a that's the wonderfulness of all this you know mm -hmm. yeah definitely i've i've found that being like believing in yourself and as cheesy as that sounds believing in yourself and having following your intuition usually yields really good results mm -hmm. if you're honest to yourself if you're honest to yourself and and if you really you know if you're doing things for a genuine reason like one of the best expressions um that i've ever heard from a from a mentor actually from dr santalina marrero is, if you do what you love the money will follow mm -hmm. and that's so true what's crazy noah is that flies against the the common the dominant culture so the dominant culture is money it's making money, right? Everything. I mean, it's, it's right. We're the beacon of capital in the world. Mm -hmm. It's not a surprise. It's not, it's not um, controversial to say that. I mean, that's right. right? Yeah. And so everything is seen through that lens of money, money, money. And it's like, sometimes you have to fight and adjust that culture, mm -hmm. you know? Um, and it's hard it's hard, man, because there's a lot of obstacles. There's a lot of pressures that you're dealing with, you know, right. and it's, it's not easy, man. It's not easy. You know, like you see a lot of things that like, go through and you're like, you know, a lot of like people that you consider your brothers and, mm -hmm. you know, people close to you and, and it, and it's tough, man. So I think that, um, you know, it's a constant fight, you know, that you have to keep the pressure up for enlightenment because otherwise it's easy for it to to be taken away yeah you know and and just sticking with like the capitalism thing and and money i just think and relating it back to covid you know i remember the craziest thing when when the market 
it didn't crash completely, but a lot of stocks mm -hmm. dipped. And, I, you know, I dabble in a little bit of stocks, but just minor mm -hmm. stuff because I don't have a whole lot of savings. So mm -hmm. I'm just trying to start out with some small mm -hmm. stuff. But I remember reading an article like a month after the original shutdown of March 13th, like the top 1% of the United States, like the billionaires, you know, their net mm -hmm. worth was before COVID. I think their net worth was something like, you know, mm -hmm. 96 billion together, whatever. And, you know, in that first month, because of COVID and all these stock prices dropped tremendously, mm -hmm. but so they bought them for cheap, et cetera, et cetera, or whatever they, they invested in, they made smart investments, but they're also like billionaires. So they're allowed to, they have more flexibility to, but that value, like almost like tripled, you know, they went from like 96 billion to, you know, 220 something uh, as a group. Mm -hmm. Right. And I was just like, oh my mm -hmm. goodness, like mm -hmm. that's crazy, you know, and we still have people out here like losing their homes. Uh, mm -hmm. you know, and it, it just, that's what capitalism breeds though. It's just like, a mm -hmm. the fact that we have billionaires is kind of like, it's a shocking concept. Right. And I think even, you know, billionaires, I don't think we understand like how much more a billion is than a million. Man, you're, you're, you're touching into something deep here. Mm -hmm. So I wrote an article and this is why writing is so therapeutic. And I, and I want, you know, everyone listening is like, is learn how to write, just write. Right, because the writing brings out innovative ideas, things that you never really conceptualize. Because sometimes your brain is thinking something, your mind is thinking, you just don't know. It's too abstract in your thought process. But when you write it, it helps you put it into these ideas together. That mm -hmm. makes sense. It's almost like, you know, I'm geeking out here, but it's almost like a different dimension. It is a different dimension. It's like you're going from 3d you're writing the code like the dna code of your yeah. thoughts it's beautiful man it's like you put out your thoughts and uh, i wrote this article about like basically like the problem with u.s capitalism and what you're getting at man is so true like capitalism is just first of all we're going back to a theme history mm -hmm. like it's just it, it, if you look back in history, it's just like the wealth of the U.S. has just been, you know, concentrated for certain groups, generation past generation past generation. Right. And we're the radical ones that are just breaking in, being first generation. That's crazy. Mm -hmm. And just like in Mexico, you have old school families from the Spanish Empire that were there and, you know, mm -hmm. they're concentrated their, their, their wealth in gold and that gets passed along, passed along, you know. Mm -hmm. Um, but let's take, for example, the concept of, um, a company, right. And, and this is really where I, I think there's a lot of oppor opportunities for education that we can provide your listeners, you know, mm -hmm. so a company has its brains and the brains is what the executive suite, right? That's the company. So tech, so let's say you have a company, you're making sneakers, so you have your product that's a sneakers and then you have your corporate suite, your executive suite, that's what your CFO, your CEO, uh, right? Right. That executive structure has a code of ethics mm -hmm. and that's called a corporate structure. So you have your corporate structure that defines your company. This is, this is very standard. Like, like, like American business has this very classic corporate structure. Yeah. And the dominant theory in the whatever, let's say, you know, the, the dominant theory has been uh, maximizing profits. So it's called shareholder, basically uh, uh, dominant. 
So, mm-hmm. so if I had a company about making sneakers, my whole point and perspective is to maximize profits. But the problem is that the incentive then becomes to make profits and not to make quality sneakers. Yes. Or yeah. To, yeah. Or to make money and not take care of your patients mm-hmm. or to make money and not focus on, on, on the, you know, so what they've done in Europe, and this is what we need to spread. This is, this is the, the what they, they've done in Europe is um they've challenged us to germany germany is one of the leading countries right now man I mean, let's be honest angela merkel is like the leader of the free world you know what mm. i mean germany's man so what in germany what they do they have changed the corporate structure they've they, they have changed the dna of the corporate structure where they say okay look it's not going to be a focus on profits so what they've done is they went they've gone from a shareholder dominant uh structure where they just focus on profit Okay. to a stakeholder so what that means is the following this is revolutionary so think about it. you have a sneaker company mm-hmm. they limit they cap they cap at their corporate structure let's say there's 10 there's 10 spots they cap five of those spots for shareholders to let's face the truth you got to make money so you have to you have to put people that are good at making money and investing the money but guess what the other five spots are for for the workers mm. stakeholders the workers. So now let me get, let's break it down to a hospital. Mm-hmm. Let's go to hospital. Okay. So let's say you have a hospital and you have this corporate structure. Though let's say there's 10 spots. Mm-hmm. Shouldn't nurses be on there? Oh, of course. Right. Shouldn't doctors be on there? But let's, let, let's be a little more uh, innovative. Shouldn't medical students be on there? <sighs> Yeah. Ooh, yeah. yeah. No. <laughs> now you're getting deep, man. Now you're talking about challenging status. This is power. And actually, there's a very good paper, man. You got to look into this, man. I, I, you know, maybe put the link too on on this part. It's from the Roosevelt Institute. So the Roosevelt Institute is a thing. They're a liberal t- think tank, of course. They're after FDR. Mm-hmm. FDR was a champion of of liberal ideas, and you know, he gave us the you know social security, you know, things that we or like they're just is, is you know things that helped our parents right and right so the roosevelt institute came out with this they said we need to rebrand the corporate structure in reality looking back what they actually did was they borrowed a lot of ideas from germany <laughs> you know they had a lot of these ideas for corporate restructuring stakeholder dominant that's the reality mm-hmm. they're figuring this out hey germany did it and guess what in germany they still make money but it's responsible it's responsible mm. It's, you know, taking care of your employees, you know, taking care you need, you need, you know. And so like, for me, you know, this type of thinking needs to take hold. It's like, it's sparking the, you know, you're sparking the fire. It's almost mm-hmm. like once you, once you get a few sparks going, it's going to take off like wildfire. Mm-hmm. So corporate restructuring needs to happen. And, um, and here's another one. No one talks about this. Okay. But let's make, the, this is based on evidence. Our I'm going to consider you a millennial, right? Are you a millennial? Yeah. So I'm on, I'm on the older side of the millennial because I was born you know, in the eighties or whatever. So there's like, you know, older, younger millennials. So, okay. Mm-hmm. So we're millennials. We are one of the best hit generations economically with student debt, with housing, this and that, right? Mm-hmm. Everyone says that we're what? Everyone says that we're spoiled, this and that. Yeah. Okay, yeah. Oh, sure. Yeah. yeah. My, my older, I make fun of my older. I'm like, yeah. All right, man, like, you don't know, you know, let's look at the debt. Look at how fast the debt, uh, you know, for student loan debt has risen compared to, you know, 
like we have incurred your generation or previous ones. But our gen our demographic has suffered disproportionately, you know. Mm -hmm. Um in California, a big issue is like housing. You know, you know, young people aren't buying homes, you know, it's just hard. You know, right. I live in Ohio. Part of the reason I live in Ohio is because I can't I grew up in Silicon Valley. You think I could just move back? Ain't nah, gonna happen. Yeah. So what in it so, so when we're talking about corporate restructuring, is it not then an ethical obligation to include people from the demographic of millennials? Mm. Because they went through very unique, because they have a very unique struggle. Isn't that? Of course, isn't yeah. That, isn't yeah. that part of, and this, what they call it, you know, it's, it's been a while since I've written about this and read about it, but what they call this is they call, um, they call it corporate restructuring. Uh, democratization it's a democratization of the the executive suite um but it's profound and it's idea it's all about the idea man uh there's a book it's the book by thomas piketty thomas piketty uh is a french communist and of course man it's always the french right the french are leading revolutions <laughs> they overthrew the french monarchy they gave us democracy they gave us the hospitals right right <laughs> and now they're giving us the future of capitalism you know what i'm saying like they're giving us the it, it, it's gonna happen man so like you know i don't like to invoke a lot of politics um into my talks and stuff but um 30 years ago it was unheard of to have someone like aoc mm -hmm. um you know um, oh yeah in politics and now there's a reason because we as a generation we're like we hear socialism i don't think about cuba and fidel castro and Hugo Chavez. i don't think about that you know what i think about socialism i think about what we just talked about that's socialism yeah well we just talked about corporate restructuring that's socialism to me right that's uh democratization you know i'm sure when fdr security they call them a socialist true yeah hell yeah you know obama with the affordable care they call them a socialist this and that uh, let's be let's be real here we're talking about democracies like you said you know we're we need to you know that hyper concentration of wealth in the top 0.1 percent that needs to be broken up because it's unhealthy it's unhealthy yeah. to have it's a, it leads to an imbalance you know right um and you know it's crazy everyone in, it it talks about um i love how we're, we're coming back to history we're just coming back to history again and always again. yeah it's important um, everyone talks about the golden era right in a, like like republicans love to talk about this the golden era of the u.s is when the golden 50s right they talk right. about that the, the, yeah. the suburb yeah yeah you know how high the taxes were back then how oh they were high bro this is the post fdr era okay this this is this is socialist america okay. post world war ii yeah the, the, the height of americana the height of american influence of uh, the height of capital Mm -hmm. in, in 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 wealth you know amongst i'm talking about shared wealth social mobility that is uh post-world war ii the gi bill is it yeah example. yeah okay taxes were a lot higher the corporate taxes were higher and we moved away with that you know reaganomics man brought that reaganomics really broke down mm. um that democratization of of wealth and they you know became hyper inflated hyper concentrated hyper concentrated mm -hmm. in the in the in the elite and that's a problem, man. And this isn't just me talking about it, man. This is out in the and it's almost like we got to go back. We got to go back to that, you know. So when you hear people talk about the golden era and this and that, like, all right, let's go back. I want to go back to those taxes. Yeah. Okay. Why not? You know what? Like, 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 it's just the truth, man. Like, we have what I like about the 
concept of corporate restructuring, which is Germany, you know, and, and, and you know, people can are quick to, man, they want to label socialism and this and that, right? Mm-hmm. But what I'm talking about is what Germany's doing. So before before people label this as, as socialist, this and that, it's like, yeah, you don't see her and think socialism, do you? Mm-hmm. You don't mm-hmm. see a Mercedes and think that, do you? No. You know, I'm talking about very well-established theories that are in practice that work. Mm-hmm. These are lead, you know, and by the way, what Germany's doing, like, yeah, I would rather, you know, look at their COVID response. Yeah. You know, they're crushing it, you know. Way better are, than ours. <laughs> yeah, there you go. Um, so, you know, I'm talking about very well-accepted tenets of Western thinking. Mm-hmm. This is like, this is very well-established, but again we have to get these that we have to get these ideas of what it means to have um you know corporate restructuring in the 21st century what it means mm-hmm. to have uh, an executive suite that is comprised of millennials right. to, that is comprised of stakeholders workers you know workers you know that's power right there right so what we're getting at is we're getting that um shared governance that's called, it's called shared governance mm-hmm. a shared governance model where you have worker representation and that's powerful man yeah that's powerful you know the data supports it man the data is the data is there like if you're a hospital system hospitals that are ran by doctors guess what they do better they outperform hospitals that are ran by business people right you think you think that's a does that make no it doesn't make sense no no. (laughs) it's like it's like this like here's a tangible one do you remember um the company and one uh yes yeah i remember and one so and one was wildly popular because they had their whole and one you know the 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 videos and this and that yeah and i think and one was just bought out was like someone just bought it who someone has zero connection culture someone who's not a stakeholder someone who's not a sneaker and they just the company went out yeah makes sense you know and and i have to reread the history but it's something like that and it's like um Nike, you know, Nike, you know, you know, Tinker Hatfield, you know, you have people that are artists, you have people that are in charge, like Tinker Hatfield had it, you know, he did his designs for Jordan and he showed Jordan his shoe. Because mm-hmm. Jordan had to give the approval for the shoe. Right. You know, so that's key, man. So I think that's a profound concept. Yeah. Shared governance, man. Um, democratization, you know, it's democratization, man. It's not socialism where it's democratization of the corporate structure system. And these are powerful ideas. You know, one day, right. I I hope we could come back to this video Mm -hmm. and, you know, we can say, Oh, wow. We were one of the first Latinos to to talk about democratization executive suite. And now it's something, you know, it's, it's become something that's accepted dominant, uh, an accepted theory in mm-hmm. practice in the u.s you know but we have we have work to do yeah well speaking on that because i've had similar conversations with friends about this and friends our age group or you know millennials too do you think it's something that we can kind of like slowly ease our way into and just over time like continuously push that message and more people who are opposed to it just kind of convert over or is it something that requires like almost like a uh for for lack a of a yeah like a, a spark or like almost for lack of a better word like a revolution mm-hmm. whether it's mm-hmm. you know conflict or not mm-hmm. just something like that because revolution had, of ideas yeah yeah um i think either or right so if history has taught us that 
revolutions happen with ideas. Like the Enlightenment was after the you know the Enlightenment Dark, yeah. was a revolution of ideas, you know. And then the French had their violent things, you know. But but it was you know it, the rest of Europe was going through an Enlightenment of ideas. So I think you know this pandemic there can be an enlightenment of ideas. There should be enlightenment ideas because people have really had a lot of time to think. Right. So I think that it would probably come in the form of enlightenment of ideas. Like I think a lot of things are going to be just written about, man. And, um, you know, I, I don't, I don't see why it has to be a, a conflict. You know, I think we could talk about these things. Um, and I think social media provides a unique avenue for the transformation of ideas. Um, I mean, a, an example is like the Arab Spring, you know, the, so the Arab Spring was, you know, they had the, the overthrow of a lot of uh, like dictatorships, if you will, right? And I'm really paraphrasing here, but the purpose of me for stating that example of the Arab Spring is that social media was a huge player in that, you know, social media, like a lot of people would put on Twitter, Facebook. So, look at what I did, right? So one tweet went viral and that tweet was just about a high school near dropout who went mm -hmm. to medical school. You know, why can't a tweet about democratization of the executive suite go viral? Yeah. So imagine that, man, imagine that going viral or, you yeah. know, or, or, or you influence someone popular, very, someone like LeBron, you know, someone yeah. like, you know, and he uh, tweets about that. Maybe he is doing that. We don't know. Maybe he, maybe his foundation is a shared governance model. I don't know. You know, uh, maybe Nike is, I don't know. Mm -hmm. Like, you know, maybe they are following the examples of, of, of the leading Western countries like Germany. I don't know. Um, but I think that it would come in a way of ideas. And I think social media is gonna, is gonna like, you know help play a part you know what i'm saying yeah like it's almost like you know people will talk about it and then it'll it'll take off you know but once you have enough people talking about it then you really have the like the culture the culture change you know yeah. um but i think you know we need people that are influential you know um the people that we look up you know yeah and that's the, i think that's a like you said too, that that's a big thing of like after the whole, what I noticed between the George, after the George Floyd, a lot of the protests and a lot of the rallies, mm -hmm. I got to cover a lot of them that were in Orange County. Um, mm -hmm. Just, I wanted to cover them as a journalist, you know, I was taking mm -hmm. photos, pictures and, and trying to mm -hmm. ask people their different opinions. But what it seemed like for me, what I was seeing at each different one, not only locally, but, lo you know, just seeing different ones too on social media and stuff, there wasn't any they were all individual, you know, rallies. They're all individual protests. Like there was no one person out. I, I talked about it with a friend. If there was like a, a let's say a celebrity figure, or just someone with sadness, right? It doesn't have to be a celebrity, but just someone who can kind of unify the people in Orange County, but also people in Bay Area and then LA and Fresno or wherever and kind of get them to preach the same message. That's a lot more powerful where it, it boosts the, the thing. It just seemed like after you know, while they were a good intent and like some of them were completely peaceful and some of them went well, they're just, they were all individual and like nothing was linked. And so sometimes some protests I went to had different messages than others. And you're kind of like, oh, well, like this was a lot different than the one yesterday. So like, but like, no, but no one's organizing this. No one's 
kind of preaching unity in that same message and then you kind of create too many subgroups if that makes mm-hmm. sense you know what i mean yeah i think you're talking about like the where you're getting at is almost like the the mobility mm-hmm. of, of of a movement you know right. which is like in the 60s you know it's like in the 60s yeah, black yeah. panthers you know so you had the panthers who even like saying that like a lot of people are you know like you know whatever but then you had the brown berets you know you yeah. had the, the the chicano movement and um you know and then you realize too that there was a lot of opposing forces against those groups man the fbi was infiltrating the panthers killed the oh, panthers yeah. and and you know so the, you know with the berets man so like you know i think um I mean, it's a, it's a, it's a tough it's a tough thing because it's almost like you you have to practice the way that history what history has taught you mm-hmm. so it's almost like maybe there was a leader on the come up but his shown us that those leaders get taken out yeah maybe you know martin luther king man yeah malcolm x you know too. exactly and so maybe there was someone on the come up we don't know like it's not far-fetched to think yeah you know like hey this is this this isn't like i'm not making this up this is in the history books like <laughs> right, you know, right, Ho- yeah. hoover right it was it was hoover man he, he you know this dude was like you know they were actively like you know they were i mean come on man in the 80s like an example this is ridiculous man like they classify nelson mandela as like a terrorist basically yeah isn't that crazy no reagan man like come on man like can you believe that reagan like this is crazy about history like if people you know no 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 no. let's look at the facts you know yeah. ronald reagan was supporting the uh the south african government man right apartheid yeah exactly like that is that that's it it's in the books <laughs> it's in the books you can't lie about it yeah like it's there. like what are you gonna do lie no it's there and so again with knowledge comes power like but also just an understanding like hey this is what history has shown us so maybe, <laughs> maybe there was someone but they're just not here anymore i don't know um but no i, I agree with you i think that um you need faces, you know, you need people. Mm-hmm. Um, and, um, I think I, I have the hope that, that, that will come. I think, I think it will come naturally. Um, I think it's just a, I think it's just human evolution. You know, I think human evolution is just, you know, it brings together these movements. I, enlightenment's happened, you know, right. like there's going to be an enlightenment of ideas, you know, who knows what my kid's generation is going to vet. They, they they could very well throw this whole concept of whatever like they they, they could come up with their own way of living you don't know yeah. that you know maybe the way maybe they're living through the pandemic and they're like what are you guys doing you know mm-hmm. like i don't know so you know i think that new generations bring new ideas you know and um, you know the 60s had the movement right and um I mean, it's crazy to think what the, in the 60s what happened. Like in 1968, it was 68, you know, with the student, we were just on this a little bit before, but like the students in France took over the government. The students took over the government. That's crazy, isn't it? For three months, right? And this, this right is, wow. The students took over the government, you know? And there's a, there's a saying, right, that in France, you know, in these countries, like the, the, the government is scared of the people. And then here, this thing that the people are scared of the government. Mm. 
you know. And so what happened in Mexico? The Me- Mexicans tried the same thing. Brah, taken out. Mm-hmm. Done. My mom saw it. Man. They would disappear kids. If you were leftist, if you were this, boom, those desaparecidos. That's what they Crazy. called them in Argentina and all Latin America. So already, you know, you see the difference between Europe and Latin America. Right. And it's crazy because, you know, I think about our, I think about the world in a global sense, you know, I think we should. So like when we would go to Mexico, you know, I remember my uncles talking about like, why is it that Mexico has diamonds? They have all this stuff, copper, everything like, you know, like they have so many resources, but where's, where's, why doesn't it belong to the, to the Mexican people? Oh, it's, it's, it's corruption. This and that really? Like you yeah. really think like it's all that? Is you really were born? How about this? How about this? Consider for a fact. How about a multi-billion-dollar company like Coca-Cola mm-hmm. going into Mexico and no, no one asked them for papers to come in, mm-hmm. but yet, but yet they're allowed to come and basically exploit our people for yeah. profit, you know. And, and and that's that's really you know the enlightenment that I think is is the next generation is going to bring, you know. Um, yeah now i agree too Uh, even the thing with like shoe companies right we were just talking about shoes earlier but like nike Mm -hmm. and and adidas and all the major shoe brands like where most of them build probably in one of those kind of sweatshops in china or thailand Mm -hmm. or somewhere Mm -hmm. in southeast Mm -hmm. asia Mm -hmm. and and it's probably a teenager or a kid even Mm -hmm. you know working for very very poor wages and and, Mm -hmm. you know it's a sad reality of it you know Mm-hmm. yeah man it's uh yeah yeah globalization man and um no you're right it's um you know i think about that too i'm like yeah i'm a sneakerhead this and that and i'm like kid was probably just you know in, in, a, in a sweatshop like you said just just working working away and you know it's it's for my own personal gratification but maybe for this kid it's like a pain reality you know what i mean mm-hmm. you're right you're right man um but you know i, I do think that um, I do think that there's an ideas, you know, I think there's a shift in ideas. And I think that, that there's an understanding that it's not all about money, you know, and I think that's the key, right? It's like, what do you value? It's not all about money. It really, you know, this, right. So there's an index. Like, I think, I think it's after 70,000, your, your happiness peaks with money. Like mm. it's true, man. It's, it's crazy. It's like after 70,000 of salary, like your, your money, your peaks, it's true. It's mm-hmm. true. Like, like life is more, it's about purpose. Life is about finding meaning. Right. And I think that's the value of our culture what we bring in. You know? Like my yeah. grandma, man, my grandma was, you know, we were, dude, we, we were on the fringes of poverty in Mexico, man. Like mm-hmm. my grandma raised uh, my mom and, you know, her two brothers by her basically, man. Like my grandpa wasn't in the picture. Okay. And that's how it was back then in Mexico, man. So, you know, dudes will leave, you know, they'll leave their families. You know, that's the way it was. And mm-hmm. my grandma would, uh, you know, planchaba, man, she would iron clothes for a living. Dang. You know, and, uh, and you know, like the stories that my cousins would, you know, because my mom wouldn't tell me the stories. So I think it was too painful for mom. But like my uncles would tell my cousins stories. Like sometimes they would, you know, just have like a tortilla or two to eat for dinner. Mm-hmm. That's crazy, bro. Like that's yeah. hunger, man, to feel mm-hmm. that hunger. You know, and, you know, like I said, my mom wouldn't share that with me. Cause she, she was too, it was probably hurt her, hurt her to think about it. And, you know, that's on my, on my mom's side. And then on my dad's side, 
I had two sons that were killed. You know, like one of them was was ran over by a truck, and the other one drowned. And I mean, that's just hard stuff that you go through, man. Like that really shapes your 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 heart, you know. Mm-hmm. Um, but I, you know, and, and I forgot even like why I'm bringing this up. You know what we were talking about, but like, um, I, I was trying example. Um, it, it goes. I think we we're talking about like the um, appreciation, right? Because money doesn't. You said after oh, yeah, seventy thousand yeah, yeah. dollars, right? So, your so, so yeah, exactly. So what I was is like, so here's like an example, right? Of like of what our people went through in the struggle in in being from a, and they were so happy. Yeah, they were so happy. Like, how was my grandma so happy? My grandma mm-hmm. was the happiest person going to church, you know, praying mm-hmm. and being with her family. Yeah, and I think like J Cole made Crazy. a really J Cole made a really good song about uh, it's called Love Yours. I don't know if mm. you've heard it by. Uh, no, I gotta check it out. Yeah, it's off 2014 Forest Hills Drive, the album that he had, and he talks about that. Like the hook is "Ain't no such thing as a life that's better than yours," you know. Like he sings that in a very melodic tone, mm. and, and he talks about that. Like you know, he like there's a part. I don't know if you caught like the bridge, right? He's like, I think being mm. broke was better, you know, mm-hmm. and like, and and he just talks about like how the money he thought coming from the community he thought it, uh, he did money would solve a lot of issues and things would be great. And it hasn't, you know, he's talking about like loving who you are with right now, family, friends, you know, significant others, that kind of thing. And just appreciating it because if you can appreciate it while you're down, it only gets better than yes with money. But like, if you don't appreciate what you have now, just because you get money doesn't mean you're going to appreciate it or, or you're going to all of a sudden start appreciating it. Even if it's yourself, you know, I think a lot of times people don't take, self-recognition or self-appreciation as serious but you know i thought that was like a very powerful song and it's one of my favorite ones by him yeah it's true man it's true and you learn a lot man and i think that's what guides my life you know what guides my life examples that my 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 parents and my grandparents gave me you know my grandma more than anything you know like you know what brings you happiness it's true you know it's like you it's 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 you know and um you know your your set of principles you know your set of principles and that guides you man but that's deep you know i mean that's deep like that's deep theory you know i mean you're talking about like things that are very deep in like psychology and you know like like money's fickle you know money is is like you know what i mean like even the concept of happiness yeah like don't pursue happiness pursue purpose Mm -hmm. It's crazy, right? It's crazy how we were raised, like, raised to be happy, pursue happiness. Like, that's a fallacy, man. Yeah. It's a fallacy. Pursue purpose. Pursue meaning. You know, pursue meaning in life. Like, like, like. first of all, like, let's not kid ourselves. Like, life is painful mm-hmm. and life is hard. Mm-hmm. So that there's that, you know, like, don't paint this picture because, no. But pursue purpose, pursue meaning. It's not about money. You know, that's what Dr. Marrero would say to me. It's like, if you pursue what you love the money will follow yeah that's and, key right that's a transformation right what uh what would you say your purpose is in life that you've discovered oh man that's deep. Uh, i don't know man i think for me um you know i i, I like this quote i saw it somewhere it was like you know the best teachers in and it's true, man, the best teachers inspire, you know, and, and I think that for me, I just want to inspire. Mm-hmm. Like, I want those kids who are out there to just because they're 
dropped out or they've been incarcerated or whatever, I, I, they should still think that they bec- could become a physician that they could become yeah. a scientist, you know? That's what I want. I mean, that's what brings me joy or, or e- whatever, man. Like, even if you're a, if you're a hip hop artist and, a, and you want to rap, it's a crazy idea to rap about science. Just do it. Yeah, dude. Like, like do it. Like, <laughs> like, like, like we said earlier, like the, the Jizza made that album about sat, you know, the, you know, had this whole idea of hip hop based on samurais and, mm-hmm. and guess what? That's basically like, they're held as one of the best hip hop groups of all time. You know, the, the, the Wu-Tang Clan and like, do something you know pursue it you know be a leader man it's, yeah. it's really it's really um easier said than than done oh of course you know, because you know? because it means you have to stand status you have to stand up against conventional wisdom and you have to stand out against mm-hmm. the crowd you're gonna be ridiculed you're gonna be ridiculed man yeah but i think once people realize there's more of that in our everyday lives like look i have an iphone I- iphones are kind of seen as a similar thing right steve jobs mm-hmm. like mm-hmm. i don't know the exact details of his story but mm-hmm. a lot of people didn't believe in him when he first had the idea mm-hmm. for apple products mm-hmm. and-, and it's the same thing for you know you can think of like a lot of stuff just in your room at, at one point or another there were just people thought of like oh that's silly you know and we we're-, were talking about science earlier right and how mm-hmm. Sometimes you have to be bold and go against the grain. It made me think of like Galileo, right? Mm-hmm. Like everyone mm-hmm. up until him, until he said it, thought, okay, Earth is the center of the universe and everything else revolves mm-hmm. around the mm-hmm. Earth. But then he was like, nah, I think we actually revolve around the sun. Everyone ridiculed him. And then eventually, I think, I don't know if it was until he died, but like. Oh, towards- was, it Caper- was it Copernicus? <clears throat> no, I think. Or who said, who, I think Copernicus flipped it, I think, but I think you're okay. right. I think Galileo was, I think, yeah, I just, you know, it's crazy. Yeah, you're yeah. right. You're right. Yeah. Conventional wisdom, man. Like, yeah. like it's hard. Um, Someone had even, to challenge it. Even when, uh, you know, I'm watching this documentary with my, with my daughter, we're watching the film of Strength and stuff. And um, the first proponents of, because um, it's all M theory, so it's the, the unified theory of like physics, right? Mm-hmm. It's crazy. Like at, at our subatomic level, like our, at our subatomic smallest particles, um, there are strings. It's basically like waves that are our matter. Mm. And these waves behave in like certain, they have certain properties that are just abstract, you know, like there's different dimensions to them or whatever. Yeah. And this I came forth that's basically supports um, through the physics, um, it supports like the multiverse. Like maybe we have multiple universes yeah. that are in parallel um, because, you know, maybe this is there's just more to this dimension these dimensions that we see mm-hmm. and the first scientists that sort of proposed this like th- there was a few that came up with it at the same time mm-hmm. and um they were ridiculed or not ridiculed but people were like yeah yeah right and you know i remember one of the scientists talking about it it was great man it's, it's a pbs documentary and he's like there was two that proposed that there were two russian dudes one of them that proposed it was like he was basically kind of depressed and he's like, I just put it away and he put it away. Dude. Like he, 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 he figured it out that there could be multiple universes based yeah. on the math. And, and he was so like, he was basically showing no love. And so he just basically for 10 years, he just put it away. That's and crazy. his colleague or this other Russian dude was like, 
that's your fault. You're stupid if you don't <laughs> see it. Like this, the multiverse is real. Yeah. And um, lo and behold, man, like the, um, uh, you know, um, basically it was validated, or the, you know, the physics, you know, basically it was just validated later on, like years later. Mm. And he's like, yeah, I knew it. <laughs> Isn't I knew that crazy? It. You know, he's like, I knew it, but, yeah. but it's like that personality. You have to have that personality of grit. So you mm. could tell that Russian dude had grit. Like the the dude who believed in himself, he said, like, "I don't care." Yeah. What would you say? Like you, man. And it's just imagine being like um, like um, you use a good story, the inventor of the vaccine. Mm. You hear that one? Mm-mm. No, go ahead and share. Here we go, man. So Edward, which by the way, because all the Native American books were burned, there were probably vaccines that we don't even know about in our, True. In, our in our you know we don't even know right like when yeah. they burned the temples and stuff. So yeah. they probably had the concept. Let's just say for established written history, right? So uh, Edward Jenner is um, what was he? This is in England in the 1800s. Mm-hmm. Forgot what his profession is, but anyways, so Edward Jenner is um, I think he's a doctor, um, and he. You know, smallpox is basically, a, it's deadly, right? Smallpox is taking out people, man. You get smallpox, you're going to die, basically. Yeah. yeah. People get sick. And, and he noticed something curious. He noticed that nursemaids, basically people that were nursing cows were not getting sick. Right? And so mm-hmm. he's like, yo, there's why is that why are these people like being protected mm-hmm. there's something in their blood that's protecting them and so what he did is he realized he realized that they the people that were milking cows were actually initially getting sick with something called cowpox oh okay and they were developing antibodies mm-hmm and those antibodies would then fight smallpox. So the mates, the people that were nursing the cows were basically giving themselves vaccines. Mm-hmm. Wow. Isn't that? Wow. So here you go, man. So, so this is a crazy part, which is mind blowing. Edward Jenner, man. This is a legend. So this is what he did. He, he believed so much in his idea of inoculation. I don't know the, the body's creating a response. So, mm-hmm. so when these, so, so he would go to these people milking cows and then he would, um, they would get cowpox, which is mild. Cowpox is mild. You get a little, you know, blisters here and there. And then yeah. he would, he would take those, he would take swaps of the blisters, right? Okay. Because he knew the virus, whatever was there, right? Mm-hmm. You know, so he would take it, right? And what he would do is he would inoculate kids. And they wouldn't get smallpox. Oh, wow. And people were very, it wasn't what yeah, said, I'm, man. I'm sure and it so, wasn't. <laughs> so he was like, what the, what are you doing? So he did it. I think he did it to himself. I think that's it. He did it to himself. And there's like pictures of it, man. And now he's the father of immunology. The, wow. the, this was crazy. Boom. Mm-hmm. It's crazy, bro. Like, this, yeah. is, this is like science that's like, Yo, this is just beyond understanding, man. Because you got to think about lo, you know, the, 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 you know, 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 you know
<laughs> you got to be hardcore, man, to really right. stand up and, and, and do that. Yeah, a lot and, of courage. You know, then the same thing could be said about Atul Gawande, Dr. Gawande, like a proponent of mass. You know, he was like, hey, you should do this. You're a radical. You're this, you're that. You're you're whatever, you know. Uh, and he knew. He said, no, 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 I'm going based on the science, right? Mm-hmm. He, he's, he's ascribing is ascribing to a truth of science and mm-hmm. fact like edward jenner was ascribing to us uh, he wasn't he wasn't ascribing to money and politics he wasn't right. ascribing to that like a tool they they were ascribing to science and fact that you gotta let those principles guide you man yeah that's the key bro that's mm-hmm. the key you gotta let those principles guide you man and mm-hmm. you know i love that story of edward jenner man i love it because um you know the beautiful thing about science and I think also similar like theory is that a good idea, a good idea and a good experiment can overthrow years of conventional thinking. Right. And, and, and that's what happened. Like, you know, that's what continues to happen today, man. It's just like, you know, one good idea can just transform the way we think about things. You know what I mean? Yeah. Isn't it like one of the mottos for science though? Like question everything, you know, you got like, to, man. It, yeah. I have to, you have to, one of the best things I heard from, um, you know, someone say a doctor, he was like, he's like, I, I show up to work every day with minds ready to be changed. Yeah. That's good. Right. That's deep. Right. That's yeah. deep. And, you know, I'm not taking credit for that one, man. <laughs> But it's beautiful because that's how we have to approach it right. every day. Like your mind is ready to be changed. Mm-hmm. And um, yeah, I mean, that, that's what it is. You know, like you, op- you open up a, a biology book and things are going to change from then. You, you have to be ready to adapt. Mm-hmm. And that's why I think whether you go to college or not, just like continuously educating yourself is so important through the rest of your life right and i think that's why it's a shame that the public school system doesn't make school as interesting because then you know as humans a large chunk of us were like ah well like learning through the school system was boring so we're just gonna go out whatever we do the minimum we get done we're gonna go work our regular jobs you know it's probably low paying but we're gonna just continue to grind it out and they never like seek knowledge beyond that and I think that's like, that, that's but a shame too, you know? I think what you said is correct for our experience, mm-hmm. for kids who are from poor neighborhoods. Mm-hmm. But I'm telling you, man, when I was a medical student and I was teaching these kids that were between freshman and sophomore year, school was interesting. Oh, you better believe it. School was interesting when, you, when, you're, when you're in the upper quintile. True, yeah. The social, school is interesting. Yeah. You know, think about, think about, you know, parenting conference or, or, or show up to, you know, talk about your work day. Like you think about it, man. Like, can you imagine like being in the upper quintile, like the people that show up and talk about like their, like, yo, you probably got like executives and uh, freaking, it just the world, you know, yeah, it's just a different world, man. World movers and, and shakers, you know? Yeah. Yeah, exactly. Authors and musicians and composers like my daughter my daughter who's like she my daughter wants to meet physicists now <laughs> hey okay that's you good know, but, but but that's the beauty of it right yeah. it's like that that knowledge shouldn't be limited to a socioeconomic group mm-hmm. and it is and we know that the numbers don't lie yeah look, look at the numbers man like if you come from a 
a low socioeconomic group, like you, you, it's very, there's a low chance you're going to make it, mm-hmm. you know, through higher education and move up. You know, it's just, it, it's just sad. It's sad mm-hmm. that we're defined that way. Yeah. You know, but with, with time, I, I think things are changing. Like we've kind of, it's been like an underlying theme. This entire conversation is that, yeah. you know, progress it's slow, but I think it's being made. That's for sure. And, and people like you, people like myself and just other people in our network, I'm sure as long as we continue to, you know, build that network and, and continue to spread good messages to, to the sure, youth bro. and inspire, sure. I think, you know, I think, I hope at least in my lifetime, by the end, you know, it's, we're in a better situation. We're not as divided and we're not as, uh, you know, sectioned off and, and, and that kind of thing, you know? I, I think you're right, man. And, um, you know, you never know what spark you're going to light. You know, mm. you don't, you never know who's going to be listening to this. True. You know, uh, and, and I think that's the, that's the power of what you're doing, mm-hmm. you know, and the power of, of social media. Like I had no idea, like we're connected because of social yeah. media. Yeah. It's deep, you know, and, um, you know, you never know who you're going to influence through this podcast, through right. other podcasts. And so, so keep it up, man. I, I think that you're onto something. Um, and, that you know your 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 heart's gonna guide you you're gonna know if it's the right thing mm-hmm. that's the nice that's a good thing about life is that sometimes life takes unexpected turns you know like i never yeah. I never in my life did i think i was gonna go viral on twitter but it happened <laughs> yeah and it's a good thing because it, it, it's a lot of positivity and i really believe in positive energy man like i, yeah. I do think like it, when you try to promote good things i think like you know, people respond to that energy. Of course. In, in a good way. Like, like I want to see people succeed. I want to see people come up, you know, for me, that makes me proud, man. Mm-hmm. Um, because things are so unbalanced right now. Mm-hmm. It's just so skewed to one, you know, and, and it's all socioeconomic and it really is. But seeing that, like, look, look, look at what the internet has done. It's really democratized things. Yeah. But everything it's... like on a, you know, it's like now all of a sudden, you have a voice and you can put whoa yeah you know now we don't need to be on the the major news networks or now we don't need to be Mm. having on radio station to get these Mm. messages across to the masses Mm -hmm. now we can do it via podcast have a you know your own twitter account having your own instagram account and Mm -hmm. uh, i think that's like you said it's just uh the power of uh social media and all these new these new platforms for people to get on yeah man And, and you know like uh, you know, I wish you the the best of luck, man, because, Thank you. Um, you know, and, and, and I'm a little myself that, you know, like, you, you know, I, I, it sounds like you have quite a reach with this, with, with this podcast, man. Um, and I, I'm actually interested, interested to hear, but like, but like, um, you know, I just wish that, you know, it, it just felt right, man. Like the energy felt right when you reached out, you know, mm-hmm. and I was like, no, I just got it, you know. It just felt right, you know, mm-hmm. and, and I guess I'm telling you that because um, I have no idea. Like, like for example, if you were to tell me right now I have one audio listener, I would be like, cool, I had a lot of fun talking about this. Yeah. Right? And this is not going to make a difference to me. Mm-hmm. Or if you were to tell me I have whatever, a million, like, cool. It's, didn't change the fabric of our conversation. Yeah. At all. yeah. And then real part man is like i like that you know i like that like it was like you know i you know and it's crazy because like i gave you as much energy and thought probably even more thought than the pr interview 
uh-huh. you know, that I did. And, and um, probably because I felt more comfortable with you, right? Mm-hmm. Because we're talking like, you know, like it's just a different audience, you know, it's right. more relaxed and we're talking about things. But um, that's the authentic part of that, like, I, I don't even know your reach, bro, but that's that's cool. And and it, and it's and it's not even about that. It's about just the fact that, you know, I was like I, I'm here. Honestly, I think I was more intrigued that you're a Latino mm-hmm. who has this podcast. And I thought that was cool. Yeah, right. There's not, <laughs> like, there's not it, a lot out it. there. <laughs> you're like my cousin or something, you know, like it's like my cousin, like 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 if someone i knew was like had a podcast yeah. like yeah shoot let's do it man it's hard to me it's like at night you know like i said my kids are asleep what am i gonna be doing right now i must i'll just be in bed you know yeah whatever man like i'm mm-hmm. whatever so you know what i mean like it, it, it's just a it, take it as a sign of trust mm-hmm. that i said that to you it, it's just like for me it's just it, it's about having fun yeah you know it's a, it's about spreading the, spreading a good positive image so mm-hmm. and it uh influence for for our our, um, our you know your listeners and our people man yeah really appreciate that well before we go ahead and wrap things up i do like to ask these like little fun introspective questions yeah, yeah you, for sure bro yeah if you could talk to any person or multiple people um, in history dead or alive who would you want to speak with the most <laughs> wait wait uh, you, you, but you give me three choices or how many choices? Usually I, I say one, but if you want to do three, like that's fine too. Three. Yeah. All right. Three. Um, you know, it's crazy just cause I was talking to my kids today. Uh, I was talking to my kids today about um, Julius Caesar. Mm, okay. It's just military mastermind, man. Like the way yeah. he was able to outmaneuver, you know, these crazy battles and uh, dude was just <laughs> a, a beast in his own right, man. Uh-huh. So um, I would say, I would say uh, Julius Caesar. Um, I don't want to be sacrilegious or anything, man. Because I'm thinking about Jesus now. <laughs> <laughs> now people you have said I mean? Jesus before. People have said it. You know, like you know, that makes sense to me. But I think that that's a very obvious answer. I'm, mm-hmm. I'm going to keep that for my personal faith. You know, I'm going to yeah. keep that answer out for my personal faith, and just say that you know. I believe, you know, as personally, I mean, as a Catholic, I believe in that, in the word personally. So I feel like I don't have to talk to him to believe him. You know what I mean? Yeah. Makes sense. Yeah. So there you go. Okay. So I'm going to say Julius Caesar, just for the historical. Um, did you say anyone dead or alive? Yeah. It could be alive. Okay. Too, so yeah. Obviously. So, so, so uh, yeah, obviously. Uh, so Julius Caesar, um, take it back in history. Bro. Uh, dude, bro. Like, probably i'm gonna say like has to be someone in the contemporary era um someone i'm gonna say someone current someone who has seen the world change quickly um Mm. because i think they provide a very good perspective um you know i'm gonna say our country's first black president man obama Mm. i think obama would be good because um because because you know we can identify right with with the things we've lived through um even though he's a little older but like outside of chicago um you know um and just seeing you know t- you know him talking to world leaders and being on that stage yeah I'll, I'll, probably, I'll probably ask him a bunch of crazy questions with bin laden raid <laughs> you, know, <laughs> right? I'll go, you know i'll go crazy i'll be like oh we're gonna talk man we're gonna talk you know uh, <laughs> You know, so I would say yeah, Julius Caesar, Obama, 
And then the last one, I'm going to say this just because it's personal on a, on a more, on a more personal level. Mm -hmm. Family comes to mind. DNA comes to mind. I'm going to say, uh, my great grandfather, man, who, um, he, he he was you know he did his own thing in mexico he was like a little you know he 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 was people looked up to him in, in our town from, from halos you know and uh big influence on my dad and you know, my dad always talks about him his grandpa you know he was sort of like a self-made man you know what i mean okay yeah and i think the reason i would want to do it because i, I just want to like i want to just hear from their perspective life like what matters to you right you know and Cause that's timeless, man. Like you can't replicate that. You know, mm -hmm. you can't replicate the, the, the authenticity. Like think about how much like social media and whatever has changed our perspective on things, but they didn't live with any of that. No, of course. Yeah. yeah. So like, I want to hear from my great grandfather, you know, so I'll probably put him first. Okay. I want to understand his, you know, what drove him in life. Julius Caesar, that'd be dope. I mean, just imagine hearing like about Julius Caesar and like, I mean, mm -hmm. he, right. Wasn't he taught by Alexander the great was Alex great Butano. Uh, I think he I, was, man. Yeah, I think he was. Yeah, it was really crazy. It might have even been related. Yeah, I mean, this is deep, man. Yeah. I mean, this is, you know, um, and um, you know, who's the who's the other one I said? <laughs> oh, Obama, Obama. Oh, for sure, bro. For sure, yeah. Barack Obama, man. I mean, just that. Okay, man, that's just profound, man. Yeah, profound, you know. All right. He's such a smart dude, man. Any other questions, man? You got some good questions. Yeah, yeah. Uh, uh, if this was a little bit more lighthearted, but if you could have any toppings on a pizza, what would it be? Uh, toppings on a pizza, man. Here we go. Um, you know, I, I'm going to say something light. So uh, I'm, I'm really old school, man. I like Costco pizza. There you go. Shout out to Costco. Hey, okay. Hey, we should, you should give you like a lifetime su a supply of <laughs> for the, the little mini advertisement that you're doing here. But, um, <laughs> just to straight up that there's something about just the, mm -hmm. the their cheese and pepperoni so good right what did they it's do simple. To it? <laughs> simple man it's just really good you know i like the mm -hmm. combination too but i'm gonna just say simple man like okay that's it just pepperoni cheese pizza done <laughs> okay all right next one if you are stranded on an island uh mm -hmm. but you had food and water provided what are three things you like to bring to pass the time in terms of what food or three things in terms of like like what do you mean just like i guess more hobbies because the food and the water are already okay so okay oh, i got you i got so you okay, three so hobby things and you can package stuff together oh, oh okay all right this has to be three individual things right the three things yeah like but like people have you know people say like a basketball i can you can package a basketball and a basketball hoop like as one okay i got you okay yeah but i can't say library right <laughs> that's unrealistic yeah, that's yeah that'd, be a little, okay. that'd be a little tough <laughs> so i would say a book it has to be a book uh -huh. um it's gonna have to be a deep book that's gonna make me think man um mm -hmm. bible's cliche um but again i think you know a book that's uh, i shouldn't say that man it's cliche upset <laughs> a lot of people man but i'm gonna say i'm gonna say uh a, like a philosophy book man maybe mm -hmm. something like something something deep like a that one of like the great roman you know, I'm thinking of the theme here of the Roman emperors, like something like mm. Marcus Aurelius wrote or something, you know what I mean? Like Ooh. something deep on stoicism and life. Yeah. So I'm in a philosophy book, you know, 
like maybe like philosophy quotes or you know what I mean? Things like yeah. that. Mm-hmm. Because you remember Brandon, so you got to think about something to to make you think. Your yeah. mind has to. So a philosophy book. Um, uh, let's see. It's going to have to be, you know, I'm, I'm, I'm on an island, man. <laughs> I need to be comfortable. I'm going to have to say like something comfortable to help me sleep, man, because my back is going to be killing me, man. <laughs> Okay. So, so what is it, you know, something comfortable, little, little nice uh, mattress, you know what I mean? Those like Tempur-Pedics. Okay. <laughs> yeah. A Tempur-Pedic. I like it. <laughs> you know, like, you know, think about it, man. You just got to, you know, mm-hmm. and people don't think about this, man. They don't think about this, but you got to think about your health. <laughs> so what's something, right? You're, you you don't, if you're on an island, you're not going to have access to medicine. Mm-hmm. You're going to get sick. True. You know, you're going to go out. It's like, you know, drink a little dirty water you're gonna go out with uh with you know with diarrhea man you don't want to go out like that you don't want to go out like that so i'm gonna say uh i'm just gonna pack this together i'm gonna say a nice little arsenal of like antibiotics anti-malarials okay like that you know so i'll sleep comfortable i'm gonna think a lot and i'm healthy (laughs) all right i like that i like that (laughs) okay and then the the last question if yeah. you could give any advice to your younger self, what would it be? Yeah, that's a good one, man. It's funny because I had a, I've had a few interviews. NPR asked me that. Mm-hmm. And, uh, you know, I had an interview this morning. They asked me that too. So it's a good question. Mm-hmm. Um, but what's funny is I kind of forgot that. So I'm going to give you a genuine answer. Okay. Um, I would probably tell myself, you come from a lineage of kings. Mm that man i'm gonna say you have it in your dna you have the answers there it's there like it's just the system is there to distract you it's all of it's all in your um in your blood it's all there and it's true Mm -hmm. it's true man like you have it we have it all right you have it all Mm -hmm. the strength comes from your grandparents the strength comes from your parents Mm -hmm. it's not what you learn in school this is all this is all man it's all extra it's all you, you come from a lineage of kings man like that that's it and if it was my daughters you come from a lineage of queens right <laughs> you know and that's that ancestral calling man mm-hmm. um that's deep you know what i mean that's yeah. deep man and, and um can't replicate that can't replicate that man mm-hmm. um there's a i want to call this out man dr santalina marrero i'm gonna open this up here i'm gonna try to share my screen with you okay okay so, uh, so there's, I, yeah, I don't I know I, if i could do that if I you I can't I think I have to just give you like a little uh I want to give this a shout out, man. It's a very mm-hmm. beautiful, um, it's a very beautiful message, man. But uh it's fun, right? Like time goes by really quickly, man. Oh hell yeah. When you're uh... so I'm gonna share my screen, right? So I'm gonna hit share. Uh so it's just a, it, it's a quote from uh a chapter that uh, Elena Marrero wrote, who mm-hmm. is, you know, my, my friend's mom and you know a PhD educator and it's in a book called the diversity calling. Mm. So the book is called the diversity calling building communities one story at a time. And the whole premise is, you know, this is written by um, uh, black and Latino authors, educators, and it's all about like storytelling. How do we build this beautiful bond to really help out the next generation, you know, and I'm totally paraphrasing and probably doing a disservice, but um she she has a chapter and it's um she has a chapter in it called like her it's not opening up 
But anyways, she has a chapter in it or something in the matter. Maybe you can look this up called like the living multiple realities as, as a and um, she has this really nice saying that talks about like how her history is made up of her ancestors uh, spirits being interwoven in her mm. and I really like that because I think that's really true man I think like subconsciously we really carry with us the stories of our parents of our grandparents mm. or of our ones of our friends that are not here and it's almost like we just, it's human nature to carry that with us to pass it on. And, um, you know, I think that's really important, man. It's, we have to honor us. So, you know, I would really focus on telling my 15 year old self, like, you know, that you have it in you already, you have yeah. it built in you, like, don't let the system beat you down. Like all you need is to learn how to basically survive and study and, you know, memorize and whatever take your test but the core of you you got it mm -hmm. you got it and, and i think i feel like it's a secret man i really do think it's a secret i think like if we pass that message along to our in, in our communities or in disenfranchised communities like i think that that message can can cause a lot of inspiration yeah you know well, people talk you know at least some it's not entirely my idea, man. I think um, I think it was either Nas talks about it. He's like, mm -hmm. imagine teaching the kids that they come from a lineage of kings or something like that. You know? Yeah. But it's true. Like, it's true, man. Like, don't let the history books that are written by the victors, you know, mm -hmm. don't let the history books define you. You got to you got to search for your own history is what we're doing. We're, we're creating. We're co-creating a new history. Yeah. Um, by telling our own stories is beautiful, man. It's beautiful. Mm -hmm. And that's why, like, you know, beauty of sharing our stories, man, is we have to continue this, man, and and inspire kids, you know, and, and make it make it cool to want to be a doctor, make it cool to want to study science, make it cool to want astronomy, the multiverse, mm -hmm. physics. That's gangster to me. Yeah, there you that's go. That's gangster to me. You know what's <laughs> gangster to me? You know, if you can figure out the multiverse theory physics that's gangster to me right that's oh, yeah. you, you know what's gangster to me if you can uh you know invent a corporate structure that mm -hmm. promotes the wealth of your community right that's gangster to me like that's my definition i'm not gonna let society or the dominant cultural group tell me what my value is as a mexican as a chicano yeah you know and and i think that's that's what we're doing right we're doing that we're we're, we're re we're, we're sort of a uh you know reinventing our, mm -hmm. our own message yeah yeah well you know, said we're, we're not our parents we're not our grandparents they lived through weird different things bro we're we our own unique generation but we're we're, we're telling our stories ourselves you know through the power of this so mm -hmm. it's, it's fun man yeah, this has been a lot of fun, yo. Really. Crazy, bro. <laughs> All because of social media, man. Four hours, bro. Yeah. <laughs> you got to chop it up, man, you know? Uh -huh. um, go ahead and promote anything, too, before we end this. Uh, anything you'd like to promote? It has to be authentic, man. That's been my rule in life. Okay. And my rule in life has always opened more doors. Okay. So I'm going to say this, man. Promote. I'm going to say... Um, my, uh, my boy Ray Hawkins, 
Mm-hmm. Um, he's a true, true soldier. Um, he's a he's a lawyer. He's trying to do the right things. Uh, my brother Leo Padilla, who's teaching, is hey, you get a great podcast out of him, man. Mm-hmm. And Ray, uh, let's promote love, man. Let's get the, let's spread the word. Let's uh, let's come together. You know, I think that's what it is, man. Let's come together and um, you know, um, you we're all one fabric, man. We're all one uh, one community. You know. Yeah. And, and uh, that's what science tells us, man. You know, I'm geeking out here, man. <laughs> you know, actually, no, I'm going to rephrase that. I'm, I'm, this is gangster. We're talking about physics yeah. and the multiverse. So You're I'm flexing geeking. your brain right now. I'm, I'm flexing, right? You know, what's crazy is, you know, this based on physics theory, like, um, this is, this is well established. Um, they've done experiments on this. What happens here? can influence what happens here through time. Mm-hmm. So in other words, in other words, you can influence something theoretically in another, technically in a, or another, in another place mm-hmm. without even communicating. Right. Or, right. Or, or, or it's called spooky entanglement. It's this crazy thing. You know, it's true. It's like, okay. so what they've done is they've been able to transport photons across time. So they, they've made something reappear in science and uh, reappear somewhere else. It disappears and reappears. The same, it's crazy. Mm-hmm. It's teleportation. They've done it with photons. Ooh. Okay. They've done it. They've done it. And so it sets the stage. If they've done it on a micro level, it sets the stage for what we can do yeah. at a macro level. And so let's think about humanity that way. Let's think about it, man. Let's, you know, Maybe you know we're 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 beginning to understand the fabric of universe, right? Um, Einstein gave us the you know the theory of relativity, and now we're getting into the multiverse and things like mm-hmm. what I just spoke about. And the purpose of me saying this is the following: you don't know, we don't know the powers of the human mind. Like it could be that we're all one, you know, because that's what the fat you know we're you know that's what the fabric of our of our universe is at the cellular level we're all we're a, we're a random sequence of atgc man that's our yeah. genetic thing yeah so and, and at the and even lower than that we're all waves we're all string theories you know you you know yeah. strings and there there's these dimensions so we're all interconnected in, in this fabric man it's crazy it's mm. almost like this fabric and so like i think that positive energy comes in it's like if you have positive energy as a human, we feel it because it's a fabric of our cosmos, if you will. Okay. It's deep, yeah. Man. It's deep. That makes sense. Yeah. And is not entirely off the chart because it's based on some level of theory that like you can technically influence something across time. So, you know, it could be that you're there in Cali, right? You're in a, a Santa right now. Mm-hmm. Yeah. You know, you're in Santa Ana and I'm here in Cleveland and, you know, I could be influencing your energy Right. The same way that Nas's album did from Queens and I'm in Dakota. Yeah. And that's how we got to start thinking, man. So I think that's honestly, I think that's how a collective awakening happens mm. to the minds. I think mm. that's how you have an awakening of, of the subconscious, man. I think that's why the enlightenment happened. Um, that's why, you know, and this, this could be the beginning of a second enlightenment post the pandemic. You know, we don't that's, know. We don't know that. Man. That's Crazy, deep. I'm, hope, I'm hoping so. I'm, I'm pulling for it bro that's that's a beautiful thing (laughs) that's the beautiful thing about these conversations man is that it leads to new ideas yeah 
you know, new ideas, you know, we parlay, the French had a word for you, parlay, you come up with new ideas, man, you know, yeah. you're, you're talking and talking and, you know, and things come about, man. So, you know, I want, you know, it's all about good energy, good vibes. Um, get my boy Ray on. Yes. Send me the information for them after. Yeah. That's a contractual agreement. Uh, yeah. you know, shout out. <laughs> and, and my brother Leo, man. So, okay. um, you know, we'll do it, man. But, uh, yo bro. Cause you know, you're, you're, you're a brother and you know, we'll, we'll meet in person sometime when I'm in California, but, um, okay. you know, best, you know, um, I'm already lisping here because I'm tired, man. But like, um, it's a good tired, by the way. But uh, best of luck, and mm-hmm. um, you know, wish you all the success, man. You know that Thank makes you. me proud. It makes me proud, bro. And I want you to go out there and just, just do it all, man. You know, take over the world, man. We need that. <laughs> Appreciate that, yo. Appreciate it. And, and the let him know you. what a true means in power, man. That's hey. what it's about. Let him know. Don't let, don't let anyone else write your history, bro. Do it. You know what I mean? Thank you. Appreciate that. Proud Mexican, bro. Yeah, and I'll send you the information afterwards. I got your... Okay, awesome. Appreciate you. All right, bro. Take care, man. Peace. All right, take care. Have a good night. All right, bro. Take care, man. Yeah, good talking to you, man. Yeah, good talking to you as well. Boom, that's going to wrap it up for another episode of my Mike and I podcast. Thanks to everybody that's tuning in all the way through the end. It was almost approaching four hours, and uh, I, I had thoughts... And I asked definitely some people on social media and some of my closest friends about cutting it up and, and whatnot. But I just think, man, the flow of this podcast was really good, really inspirational guests. Like I said, we talk about a lot of different good topics and we it all flows really well, I thought. So I just had to leave it is as originally. So I really appreciate you guys for tuning in. If you're tuned in this far, hey, shit, you might as well go leave a, a review and rating on Apple Podcasts, right? If you're listening on that platform. So be sure to do that. Be sure to subscribe. Be sure to follow. Be sure to like the homepage on whatever listening platform that you are tuning into. And don't forget, we have the visuals up on YouTube as well. We recorded this one through Zoom. Again, thank you again so much to Dr. <laughs> Dr. Cesar Padilla for being a guest on this week's show. And uh, man, hope to have more inspirational guests like that in the near future, especially outside the area too. I like to keep it local to SoCal. But every now and then, I think, especially with the the technology of Zoom, it's good to branch out and get some people outside of our little pocket. So definitely got some more of those for you in the near future, as well as a lot of fun stuff, too, like I advertised in the beginning of the episode, both Generic Sports and Vince and myself, all three of us, we are currently working on our top hip-hop albums of 2020, just like we've done in the past two years. It's going to be a lot of fun. I already know cooking up the top list is a little bit more challenging this year. I feel like there hasn't been too much good hip hop, but we're going to save that convo for the obviously that interview or for that episode um, probably in a couple weeks. Other than that, man, hope you guys continue to chase your dreams, not checks. Never stop seeking knowledge. Continue to battle and work through whatever obstacles you may be facing in your life. And just, you know, continue to level up, continue to you know, ask new things or ask people for new things and, and learn new things. Be curious and man, just keep on living life. 2020 is coming to an end. I know it's been a rocky year and I keep saying that, but I just feel like you know, look at the look at the positives and kind of roll with that and build that momentum and take it into next year. You know, because at, at, at 2021, nothing's like physically going to change. Yes, like the calendar year. Uh, you know, time is a concept of man, but like nothing's going to change and automatically get better. Like there's still a pandemic going on. Whatever you're going through personally is still going to be there. Uh, but just, you know, continue to work through those obstacles, man. I hope and wish nothing but the best for you guys. That being said, thank you to everybody tuning in. This is Noah Alvarez, the host 
of the My Mike and I podcast. Signing off. Till next time.